Hey, it's me, Rasan. I don't know, man. Huge hole in my, you know, yeah. <laughs> understanding. <laughs> my fellow Americans. Probably <laughs> here. As long as you're, whatever you're doing doesn't hurt anyone else, I don't care. Different perspective of what an interesting topic is than I would assume. This is balance exchange. All right, starting the podcast off. This is uh, Balance Exchange, and it's Rasan again with. Uh, it's uh, Papa Bear here, Daniel Blue. And yeah, we're going to do a discussion about universal basic income, which is a very interesting topic that I thought was nonsense when I first heard about it because um, I, when I first heard about it, I thought it was just giving free money to, to people, to Americans, yeah. and it sounded like nonsense, and I, I didn't get it. And the reason why this is kind of like a perfect segue from our last podcast because near the end of the last podcast, Papa Bear brought up uh, Maslow's hierarchy of needs, mm. and which is funny because this is actually in the discussion for um, UBI. So, so I have to say, I think maybe you and I might have a different perspective of what an interesting topic is than a lot of people. <laughs> well, <laughs> you say it's a really interesting topic. I was like, I don't know. Maybe me and you think so, and hopefully a lot of other people do too. But <laughs> I know that when I think about these topics, sometimes I'm like, God, no one else cares because it's like people people should and people should be talking about these things. But it's not like it's not the hot social topic that people want to like have big deep conversations about. Yeah, well, I mean, it, it even it, it comes back around to like having informed like voters and you know just informed people in general is that there are all these things that people don't know about. But it's easy. I mean, like it, I think that most of America, the way that we operate, it it really relies upon the ignorance of other people to like get mm -hmm. these things across. Is because people they just don't understand, and it takes times to under takes time to understand these complicated issues i mean like last time you heard me talk about i didn't know fucking congress was literally um the senate and the house of representatives together and i consider myself generally speaking um knowing a decent amount of politics but obviously that was a huge hole in my you know yeah <laughs> understanding yeah 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 that's like and for most people especially if you're really into politics that's like it's a base knowledge so um i like being educated on the last podcast and that's what I think. That's what I think the goal of this is, right? We're trying to pick topics that um, the idea is one of us has feels like they have a good solid grasp of, and the others maybe like interested in but wants to learn more about. And that's why I felt like we picked these two for that same reason. Where you mentioned it, it was like I don't know a lot about it, and I've been trying to avoid anything about it since we started talking last time. I did end up having one conversation with someone, and I'm sure I'll have a chance to ask that question in, in regards to something they brought up. I was like, I don't know if that's the same thing, but it'd be interesting to see. Yeah, yeah, definitely uh, bring it up. Yeah. So two two things. One, um, I am drinking something for you this time. So I showed it to you already, but um, oh, here we so this go. is that Elton Fever peanut butter milk stout. Nice. So when I went I went shopping and I was thinking about it, I was like, man, I do. I, I haven't had a good stout in a while, and I know that you generally are drinking a lot, uh, like the stouts more than anything. So yeah. I got to pick this up. Stouts and IPAs. It was like the yeah. out there, other than Guinness, which I was like, I know Guinness. I want to try something else. Yeah. No, I mean it's it's good. I mean once you get go down the rabbit hole of beer, it's uh, terrible for your body, but uh, makes you feel fantastic. So. <laughs> Um, right now, I'm drinking uh, Pliny the Elder. So, if y'all are IPA people, you'll know this is a very iconic beer. Um, people say now that it's like, oh, it's just a normal IPA. But listen, fucking years ago, this was basically uh, angel piss. So, yeah. <laughs> you had um, you had that last night too, right? That's what you were drinking on the podcast last night? I did, yeah, because I bought a case of it. It had it delivered to me. So, and then I'm getting another 51 beers from Tavor um, tomorrow. And I think I showed you the bill for that. And it was a lot of, a lot of money. But... I was, 
a little sticker shock. I was like, oh my god. I was ashamed when I read how much money I spent. I'm not going to tell my girlfriend <laughs> how much money I'm not going to spend on Christmas because of that one beer order. Anyway. <laughs> Is that what her Christmas present to Yeah, yeah. I'll be happier, hopefully, on Christmas. Um, anyway. So, so then, sorry, second thing for me is, um, again, this is, even though I'm an active duty Marine, um, this is my personal positions. Anything I say has nothing to do with the Marine Corps. I'm not an advocate or like a spokesperson for the Marine Corps. So anything I say is my personal opinion and not the opinion of the United States Marine Corps. Um, I'm not a public affairs officer or anything like that. So I, I can't, I can't speak on their behalf. Um, and honestly, like on several of these topics, I've talked about it with my commanding officer today, actually, which was kind of funny that, um, most of the topics we're going to cover, I'm pretty sure the Marine Corps doesn't even have an opinion on or a position yeah. on or whatever. But like, just want to make sure to frame that, that me saying this in no way means that this is what the Marine Corps thinks about this topic. I feel like uh, if we do enough of these, we, we should you should record that statement and we're just getting a button and you're just going to press the button. And we'll, there we go. Very well with goes. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so it's it's interesting, like uh, how different it is, like you still being in and like me being out. Um, obviously, I know the the whole Marine Corps thing, but I forget. Obviously, it, I, I've been out of the Marine Corps for a long time now, <laughs> so I th- I got out in two thousand and three, so yeah. I forget about most of that shit. So I'm, I'm glad you, you're going to do it every single time. But yeah, you should do the buttons. It'd be funny. Too unfortunately, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> All right. Just to make sure we're safe and that I don't get in trouble. Yeah, I definitely don't want don't want you to get in trouble. It's one of the reasons why I don't say my full name usually on the podcast is because I work for a very large corporation. Mm-hmm. Um, that also, you know, there's a lot of things I say on my main podcast that they definitely would not agree with. So I try to separate the two. Um, yeah. and what's funny is that like, I get into things like at work where I avoid situations where they get into like this, like quote unquote, like locker room talk. Cause I don't mm-hmm. like hearing it at work, but then I do a whole podcast. So, like my whole podcast is basically like a, a locker room talk, it? but I don't want to hear about it at work. I don't want to hear about it from like quote unquote professionals, you know? Yeah. We, we do still sometimes stop and like have some Star Wars conversations or some other, you know, like because they are your colleagues and your friends and kind of one in one. So those kinds of things go. I think maybe there's a line between the locker room talk and the water cooler talk. We still have the water cooler talks, but the locker room talk, we still we try to avoid as much as possible. Yeah. Well I, well, I think in the Marine Corps, it's more acceptable. Right. But when it comes to like, well, to me, there's like been a couple of times of like bullying that I've listened to on certain conference calls where I'm just like, I really want to say something, but at the same time, it's like, do I really need to... Yeah, I'm just, I don't want to be that fucking guy. But yeah. if, if I keep doing, if I keep hearing it, I'm, I'm going to have to be that guy. Because I'm, I'm a team lead on, but then I also have to come up against the other people that are also team leads. Um, they're talking to people that are, they're my team, but also like kind of separate. And so it gets mm-hmm. kind of fucking weird. And I'm also like one of the youngest guys on my team. And these are all, so those people that have, that have worked at my company longer than I've been alive, literally. And it's weird. It'd be interesting to think about though, and maybe for a different topic, because generally in the in the you know I'll generalize in the like the IT community, because I don't want to say specifically in, you know, storage or in anything else, but like in the IT community, generally the much older people wouldn't be involved in the newest technology type things. And so it's interesting if they're you have enough that you that's a concern that they're even involved like that they're a part of these projects and doing that stuff yeah it's actually where i'm at like they're the cutting edge thing there's people like i said i'm one of the youngest people i think i'm like i'm not the youngest by maybe months mm. but i'm definitely like if you look at me and another guy and maybe one other person 
everybody else is at least five or ten years older than than me, like easily, if not twenty, thirty years. You know, and it's and it's very strange. And they're they're all like really competent people because you know you have to be at this point. So yeah, yeah, I'm getting on the other end of that with our group, right? <laughs> with Marines, like I'm. Well, you're old as fuck. Yeah, <laughs> the Marines, you're old as fuck. <laughs> but like, um, it was real close. There was only me and then the Marine who was the oldest Marine at this last birthday celebration we did. I was like, oh shit, that I'm is so weird. And you're not even forty yet. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> uh, yeah. Anyway, let's uh, wrap this back around. All right. So the yeah. last podcast we talk about uh, Maslow's hierarchy of needs, and this is why we I, I started to bring up UBI. Um, for y'all who didn't know uh, Maslow's hierarchy of needs, I'll break it down for people that have no idea what the fuck this is. Um, it's basically it's a pyramid, like the food pyramid, but not. It's for your needs as a human being. All right. At yes. the very bottom, the widest tier is your physiological needs, which is you know, air, food, water, shelter, clothing, reproduction, the basic stuff. That's the real base to like to live. All right, for pretty much every human being on the planet. The next one up is the safety needs, personal security, employment, resources, health, property, stuff like that. Um, the next level up, which is obviously a smaller tier, is love and belonging, friendship, intimacy, stuff like that, sense of connection. Um, next one up is your esteem. Your, you know, respect for yourself, recognition, strength, freedom. And the highest tier is self-actualization. So yeah. that's that's the highest tier. Yeah, I'll, I'll do that too. Uh, present entire screen. You pull it up. Yeah. The pyramid. Share and then switch tabs. You can see oh, look at you. Yeah. That's exactly what I'm looking at. So yeah, that's great. It's a, the good, clean looking one. Like I like the pretty picture of it. It's got yeah. the right color thing too. Yep. It's uh. Well, it, well, like purple, dark blue is royalty, right? Is that what it's about? <laughs> <laughs> it. So I think we mentioned I mean, it. You mentioned it actually on the on the the last podcast is that um, basically where the where the U.S. government comes in is actually on level two. It's not really level one, or like the the bottom tier. We the the government comes in on the safety needs. Yeah, and that's where it starts, and that's not where um, human needs start. And I think that's one of the problems. Well, yeah, because one of the fundamental concepts around Maslow's hierarchy, right, is that you have to have every level below it in order to move up to the next level. So, like, you can't even get to worrying about your safety until you have those fundamental needs of, like, food, water, shelter, those really, like, bottom ones. And so it's interesting, right, that most of the time, in most countries, too, they just kind of skip even talking about that and go towards safety, assuming people are going to figure that out on their own, and then we'll just take care of this next level. It's just interesting because why would you not be responsible for potentially making sure people can pull themselves to worrying about that? But I'm sure we're going there. Yes. And the the funny thing is that if somebody's listening to this and they're thinking socialism, just stop right now. I'm not talking about socialism. All right. It's I'll, I'll obviously I'm going to break it down later, but I'm not talking about socialism. But I'm also not talking about capitalism because I think that capitalism at this point in time is uh, it's it's kind of broken. Right, it it's worked for a long time, um, for a lot of people, but the amount of people that that is working for is less and less. Especially in 2020, we're seeing the the obvious flaws with capitalism. Um, we have uh, millions of people right now that are on unemployment, that are either on unemployment or underemployed. Um, and if you look at the actual unemployment numbers, the unemployment numbers are actually they're kind of fake because the only reason. Um, how they count unemployment is if you're pulling down an unemployment check, 
that's how they actually count unemployment. But if you yeah. are underemployed or your unemployment benefits have lapsed and you cannot get unemployment unemployment benefits at all, or you're a con a convict or you you know you don't have whatever means testing you that that is needed for unemployment, they don't count you towards unemployment. So when you see like a large, go ahead. Have a red or your homemaker or it doesn't have a registered business or yes. any of these other things that aren't generating an IRS report for taxes. <laughs> yes, like any um, stay-at-home mom or stay-at-home dad, um, they are not going to be considered unemployed, and that's a huge problem. That's a huge gap that there's not like a list, right? There's not like here's every single job that exists in the in in the United States, and then here's the total population. Therefore, there are this many people without jobs. Yeah. <laughs> There's no, oh, look, there it is, unemployment. And, and that's how, like, they've kind of toyed with, you know, especially the, the current administration. This is 2020 still. So it's um, still President Trump's administration. And so when he talks about the unemployment numbers being historically low, um, I do your research on what he's talking about when it's low. Because if you're just talking about unemployment, like I just said, it's only people that are pulling down unemployment paychecks. That's yeah. all. So, I mean, in that same context, right, imagine we change the rules for how you apply for unemployment and make it so that half of the people who could have maybe qualified last year don't qualify this year. And somehow we can report that unemployment numbers are cut in half this year. Yeah, because you <laughs> reduce the amount of people who are eligible by half. Exactly. So it's, it's you know, messaging the kind of numbers. So I could, I could see what you're saying there. Okay. Yeah. So um, along that same vein, whoop, I'm, uh, did I actually close my window? No, I didn't. All right. So when it comes to uh, the hierarchy of needs, um, it's just going down to like the base level, like what do you actually need to survive to be a human being? And I think that our government does not cover, well, I know it doesn't cover that, all right? Um, and universal basic income would be something that would cover it. And when I first heard about it, I was like, it's basically what universal basic income means is that basically um, you would give a paycheck to uh, a certain group of people should be all people because that's why it's universal over a certain age um, a check for basically just being alive um, and for I'll bring up Andrew Yang's um, argument for it because it's it's the most easily digestible because he already did all the math for me um, he calls it the freedom dividend because it sounds better than universal basic income because it sounds like American freedom um, his idea was to give people a thousand dollars a month anybody over the age of 18 a thousand dollars a month no question asked, literally everybody, even billionaires. Um, and if you're mad about the whole billionaire thing, um, they pay taxes too. And yeah. if if you're going to have a universal system, then they should get the money. If you look at the actual whole scheme of things, um, if you gave uh, a billionaire $1,000 a month and then you gave a person that had no income $1,000 a month, who is that going to affect more? person who has no income. Yeah, or somebody that – another example is to be if somebody that is barely making um, – a dent in their debt or they're making really low income and they're still paying taxes, giving them a thousand dollars versus somebody that pays, you know, hopefully thousands of dollars in taxes as a billionaire or hundreds of thousands, hopefully. Um, and you get a thousand dollars back, you know, they're obviously it's the amazing returns for the billionaire. They're still getting their, um, their money, but they're, they're paying into a system to where they're getting, um, less back than what the person that is getting paid that is, their income is way less. So basically a person with that's paying less taxes, gets more out of the system than the person that's paying more taxes. So it kind of evens out a little bit. Um, 
but I think it's it's more fair because I'm all for the um, equality of opportunity, but not the equality of outcome. So I think that's a, a, a distinction that people yeah. need to understand. So it just gives people a floor instead of living on the bottom. So I think for the two of us, we both said we're both pretty well off at this point. It would be like, right, you sign up for one of those free months of this thing you're kind of interested in, you're not really sure, and then they have a subscription that starts after 30 days, and then maybe you realize four months later, you're like, oh, crap, I've been getting charged for this for three months, and I didn't even really like it that much, and you have to turn it off. Yeah. We didn't even, like, it's literally, honestly, like, it's a small thing, and there's that little amount in there where you're like, oh, crap, oh, there's this thing getting charged, turn that off. It'd be the same thing with them getting that $1,000 back. They're going to be like, oh, wait, the government gave me $1,000? I didn't even know this. <laughs> yeah, exactly. That's that's how it would be. It, they wouldn't even recognize it, you know, until a, someone tells them in their numbers, like, oh, geez, hey, you know, th th you got that back. Like, oh, oh, yeah, okay. Whereas the person who's, you know, going from paying this bill this month and holding off on this one to then, okay, pay that one and then hold off on that one so that you're never more than 30 days late on any of your bills, that $1,000 is going to make a difference. Yes. And it would obviously, it would, the idea is it would stabilize uh, the vast majority of uh, of poor people and it would it would almost uh i don't want to say eliminate poverty but it would put um a huge gigantic debt or yeah. dent in poverty if you just start paying people a thousand dollars a month still talking about maslow's hierarchy for a second so if if you're that that person who's managing a household and you're doing that that month-to-month -month thing like i was talking about where you you're like you're still you're you're making bottom level right you've done that you you've managed to make it so that you still eat you still breathe, you have shelter, but you're like just scraping, just barely getting the bottom. Yeah. $1,000 lets you now maybe go, okay, what can I do to make it into the next level and start, yes. you know, being a little bit happier and living and being more contributing to society. So, okay. I, yeah. And it also, it. and it also gives, um, like we were mentioning before, if you're a stay at home mom or stay at home dad, <laughs> um, you're, cause people talk about GDP all the time. Um, and, right. And GDP is kind of a ridiculous uh, measurement f to, to measure uh, society's um, happiness. It's not even really happiness. Fucking nothing to do with happiness. Nothing to do with like how, how you're doing day to day. Um, but GDP doesn't account for somebody that, you know, raises their kids at all. It has no income. And there's nothing currently now to help them out to raise their right. children. Um, and I think this is an easy way to to really raise up the people that are doing jobs, right? They're, they're technically jobs. They're just not getting paid to do, but they're very important. Um, this is one of the reasons why I thought that it was a uh, really important to, to talk about, you know, UBI. And it also would, most crimes here in America are basically crimes based upon poverty. Like if you look at most mm -hmm. of the crimes when it comes to like theft, murder, assaults, it's all because of almost every single one of those people, it's probably like the high 90 percentile if not like 99 percent, is that they're all living in a scarcity mindset almost none of them have an abundance of fucking anything except for like you know shit that you don't want like fear and you know like shit like that like stuff you don't want so and um honestly if you want to talk about you know ubi as well this may be a conversation for for another day but if you're going to have a system like UBI, you would almost have to like wrap in um, universal uh, healthcare. In that, that's another thing that I was like. But universal healthcare, I'm kind of more iffy about, only because when you start talking about universal healthcare, is I'm worried about the actual level of care. And I think I touched upon it the last podcast. It's like, yo, am I getting Kaiser or am I getting Stanford? Or are you getting the VA? 
Yeah, exactly. So, um, but I think it still goes hand in hand because it, it will have benefits that, that wrap back around. Um, there's been multiple people um, that have been for UBI that people don't talk about, like Thomas Paine, who was one of the founding fathers. He was for um, UBI, uh, for people over 21. Martin Luther King Jr. was for it. Uh, Nixon was for it, which is kind of weird. <laughs> and there's a bunch of other people that were for it. Um, and I think that people, Americans have been uh, kind of tricked into thinking that how are you, what are people going to do if they get you know, universal basic income. Like, are you going to get rid of jobs? And that's that's the the main problem that I think most people think is that people are just going to stop working. First of all, can you really live on a thousand dollars a month? I mean, most people can't. Yeah. I mean, it's just base. Your basic needs are met. Hold on, you paused out for a second. Coming back there. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, but it's just basic. It's just to make sure that hey, you can have a place to live and feed yourself. But that's it. And even that, like, uh, it depends on where you are, right? Too, exactly. A thousand dollars in two thousand and two, when I was in um, San Diego, was fine for the first six months when I lived in Mira Mesa, <laughs> nine hundred. And then six months later, and I had to renew my lease. They're like, "Oh no, sorry, it's twelve hundred dollars now because BAH went up." I was like, "It didn't go up for me." Yeah, I can't. Afford it. So we had to move to Santee, like to Lakeside, where we could find an apartment for like nine fifty, and. So then $1,000, like, just barely pays the rent. So if that's, like, literally all I have, there's no way that would work. Yeah. But it's not made to – it's not made for somebody to basically yeah. sit at home and do nothing. It's just to make sure that your needs are met. Do you think there's an argument for for that, though? Like, what is the real, like, real dollar amount? And it would have to be regional. Like, you'd have to do an analysis that would be way more in detail than just $1,000 for everybody because – if you're someone living in San Diego versus someone living in San Francisco or someone living in St. Louis, Missouri, like the dollar amount for surviving, being able to pay rent and eat and everything, all that stuff together, whatever those, hold on, let me pull, pull the right slide back up. Yeah. <laughs> so like to, you know, have water and food shelter requires a house paying rent, right? Um, clothing, you got to buy sleep. It means you need a mattress. We won't even go into reproduction on this topic because that's down there. Yeah. But don't necessarily need the government getting involved. Maybe we do. Don't know. Anyways, but the money, the dollar amount for you to be able to pay for the things necessary to do those things. Is there an argument for that? Like, okay, what that is. And that realistically, like, survival level, like the base level of Maslow's hierarchy, should the government figure out what that takes in each and make sure that that's available to each person. Yes, I think that um, this is something that Andrew Yang, I, I have not heard him talk about, but I think that from the federal level, I think that $1,000 a month is a good start. But mm. I also think that if you go down to the regional level, that a lot of these dollar amounts, like obviously in San Francisco, because I, I, I'll use San Francisco because I'm obviously I'm from this area. It's where I'm at right now. I'm in Hayward, which is not far from San Fran, but I live you know, in a high-income place um that also pulls down a shitload of tax dollars so i think that uh the base of a thousand dollars a month can be sub should be supplemented by regional tax dollars so saying that the federal government provides you know the the first initial thousand dollars and then depending on where you live that can be uplifted by your local government through the local tax dollars 
Okay. So yeah, so there's like a national base and then also a national requirement that the states provide some kind of oversight on more local level, detailed level, like analysis on what that dollar amount needs to be. Yes. And they have to some kind. Okay. Yep. And we That's actually, the funny thing is, is that, I don't know if you knew this, but uh, you know, they actually have a UBI in America already? For social security? No. Like actual hmm. UBI. <laughs> it's in Alaska. Hmm. So when you when you they and they get it through oil money, so they 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 pay all their citizens. Um, I forget how much money it is. It's not a thousand dollars, but they they get cut them a check every year um, hmm. through uh, oil taxes to live in Alaska. And when you move there, hmm. you actually get a check too. Because <laughs> they're like, you decided to come all the way up here to Alaska and live here. <laughs> yeah, this place is savage. So hey, thanks for helping us figure out how to make oil come from Alaska. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> That's interesting. And, and it was actually the, the the idea for that the oil check is what the, I think they call it in in Alaska. It was it was from a Republican governor in Alaska. He's the guy who came up with the idea for to get yeah. that check. So like, so I, I don't know if you know this about me, but so I actually grew up on a Native American Indian like a reservation in in Washington, and my dad got a regular stipend each month from the tribe. Basically, like I actually could inherit that if i want to um we've been trying to push it all back to the tribe since my, some, my brother and i are kind of farther removed from it and it's funny because there's actually a pull from the tribe at this point like no 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 no, we need you to come come into the, like we need people to still represent the tribe wow uh, and so he get it basically like they would divide up the, the total amount of land that they had mm-hmm. would divide it up into the total number of people and then they would generally divide that land up into 10 plots per person and then not give anybody a contiguous plot so you you owned it's like, like checkerboard all over the place right in, yeah. inside the trap lands so that then what would have to happen is say you wanted to ranch sheep or something you would have to get with the the 50 dudes that owned these 50 squares of land pay everybody to allow your sheep to like you know graze there and then everybody would get that all that money and the sheep and everything else comes back to the tribe and then everybody gets the same amount of money huh that's interesting that's a good yeah, way just... of <sighs> It's weird. It's hard to keep track. Of. I was like, wait, I had to like do the math like fifteen times. I was like, okay, I get it, but it yeah, no, no, it sounds weird, but it, it but it uh, fosters a sense of like actual community. You know, I think that's what a lot of America is uh, is really missing is like the actual sense of community. And it's one of the things my mom told my dad that he should do because um, he didn't set up any inheritance. He died a few years ago, and like it's that's why it's all in weirdness right now. And I've just told the tribe, I was like, figure it out or don't. I don't care. Like I, I can't get directly involved. Um, she told him like, Hey, figure out how to get together the 10 plots that you have on Lake Roosevelt. Cause there's, there's a big portion of it that's on Lake Roosevelt in Washington. And even if we aren't there all the time, if that's our plot of 10 together, uh, we could put a cabin there, have like a vacation home, you know, and something we could rent if we wanted to. But he's like, she's, she's like, do something. Cause he never really did much for us. Yeah. So she's like, do something for them as like the last cool act. And he never got around to it. <laughs> Yeah, we're uh, yeah, human beings, you know, we're, we're fallible. Mm-hmm. So, <laughs> anyways, that was kind of my my idea. Is like we're or well, where they show that that's possible with a very complicated, but a system like you said that breeds or fosters like this sense of we are all going to get back from the land what we put into it. Yeah, yeah. I mean, that's the, honestly what is it? I forget the the term of it but it's like you can't track more than like 120 something people like in your social circle 250 250 yeah it's like what will be i mean everybody's facebook page is beyond that you know what i mean yeah 
so that study came from DuPont. Maybe if we want to go down this rabbit hole, but <laughs> well, no, there was there was one that came from religion. Do you remember that one? It was uh, uh hold on, it was like the mess of the shit. I so I'll it. cover I'll talk for this for a second while you look that up. So the DuPont study came uh, because the guy opened up his first DuPont manufacturing plant in his basement, right, and started and then grew to a warehouse. So he started manufacturing DuPont, um, you know, basically like Tupperware type stuff with DuPont, all this plastics. Mm-hmm. And it got to the point where he couldn't, didn't know everybody. Like he walked down the hall one day and was like, I don't know who this person is. And that was just when they got past 250. So he was like, we're going to open up a new plant because I want to make sure that we all know everybody we work with. So we opened up another plant, started hiring people, build that one out, support the requirement for their business, whatever. And as soon as any of his plants got to 250, he would open up a new plant, even if it was right across the street. It didn't matter. It needed to be a separate place with different management and different owner or different um, workers. And so what's funny is then he commissioned a study while at the same time he had kind of passed on his own. He commissioned a study to say, hey, tell me what the exact number is. And they went out across the country and ran these research in a whole bunch of different places and came to the number of about 250. And he's like, that's exactly what I figured out too, just pretty much intuitively. So yeah. it's pretty interesting. Well, I think that's for like, it's for like a normal society, right? Not just friends. It's just like how many people you can, you can track just vaguely. Yeah, I think yeah. that's that's the correct number. But goddamn, I can't remember the religion. It says list of schisms in Christianity, and that's not what I'm talking mm. about. It was like a, there was a religion to where literally, if you got over like a certain number, I think it was like a hundred, about 150, where okay. they would literally split and like, hey, all right, we over 150, go move somewhere else. And so they would yeah. have to move and then come up with another 150 and then split. But I, I forget the actual name of the religion. I can't look it up fast enough. I wish I had a Jamie Vernon, like uh, Joe Rogan does, because it'd be way easier to do. <laughs> <laughs> But, Joe Rogan does what? What's up? You said Joe Rogan does what? He has a guy named Jamie Vernon, who is like his uh, engineer, and he'll look mm-hmm. up stuff like as he's talking, uh, yeah, and yeah. it makes it way easier. So yeah, yeah but... So I was gonna say, does that mean that now that we're making friends with each other, there has to be someone that we drop off our list of 150? Oh, there already is. I mean, <laughs> someone, someone got dropped away. Okay, so um, you got more to cover on it, or do you want me to ask my question? I do, but ask your question because I think it might be what I'm going to talk about anyway. So go ahead, ask your question that your friend asked you, or your Marine asked oh, you. <laughs> I'm just going to take the then, and then maybe we get to AI. AI, yes. That is one of the major reasons why UBI should be done, is because okay. AI is going to replace um, a lot of jobs, AI and automation. Um, so I'll give you the perfect example. When you hear statements from the u.s government talking about how we're bringing uh jobs back to america we're going to bring back um auto jobs or manufacturing jobs we're going to bring it back to america okay yeah you're going to bring them back but they're not going to be human beings doing it you know once when those jobs left america um they went to like china or you know taiwan or whatever or wherever for like for cheap labor but guess what? We have cheap labor now here in America, and it's through automation and uh, AI. And this is like the, the major push um, that Andrew Yang was talking about for UBI. Um, the major one for me now, because I was like, you know, yeah, I see AI coming and I see automation coming. Um, it, it's here now already. Like I already saw the push for it. There's uh, AI is trying to replace my job right now. It's not there yet. It'll get there in a couple of years, but it's coming. Like I, I see it coming. Um, if you have a repetitive job, like it's uh, AI can replace you. Automation can replace you right now. If you're doing the same thing over and over again, that's, that's repetitive. It can replace you. 
Um, if you have a non-repetitive job like I do that takes some problem solving, it'll take longer, but it's going to get there. And I think there's a, a major pushback for human beings to be like, hey, I just want to work. You know, I don't want a, uh, I want to have my job, but these are jobs that human beings should no longer do. Like, honestly, we shouldn't be flipping burgers anymore. We should we should be doing things that are more meaningful to society or you need to find out you need to find a better thing to do with your time. I think that's where uh, UBI kind of fills a hole. Um, but that that was the major thing for Andrew Yang. But what we're seeing today is that um, with COVID-19, it wasn't even AI that fucked us up. It was a, a single virus has put millions of Americans out of work and businesses that have to shut down. Just one virus. All right. And then what do you think is going to happen after COVID's done? Uh, if you're looking at restaurants, yeah, the restaurants. Sorry, go ahead. No, no, you're good. Um, yeah, restaurants will come back. It won't be that many. But when it comes to like manufacturing jobs, these corporations are looking at, you know, the fallibility of human beings. All right. Robots don't don't fucking get sick. So when you when you think that when somebody tries to bullshit you and say that, hey, we're going to get all these jobs back. There's so much need for getting these jobs back. No, these jobs are not. A lot of these jobs are not coming back. Don't expect them to come back because. If it comes down to paying somebody, you know, minimum wage or even above minimum wage, you know, X amount of dollars to move a box around in a warehouse um, and then COVID-19 hit and all of a sudden you have no box movers around anymore. Meanwhile, you can just buy a robot for like, you know, $10,000 or maybe $100,000. It doesn't fucking matter. $100,000. But this that $100,000 robot can work nonstop and never get sick. You know, it might have some maintenance, but it doesn't matter. Yeah, so like, so our conversation that I did get mentioned, and I told him after he kind of started talking, I was like, "Stop! I don't I want to talk about this." <laughs> <laughs> so he was like, "Because I brought that up too." I was like, "Okay, so you talk about the robots that can do the job because it's automated." So like, I go to Amazon, I order a thing, the system receives the order, the robot goes, "That's on this shelf and this letter number," and rolls over there, pulls it off the shelf, loads it in a truck. That truck's an auto drive truck from Tesla. And that, that truck drives to wherever it's got to go to a distribution place. At some point, you know, someone someone might actually drive a truck to my house. Okay, so there's one person driving a truck. And that's for only as long as my mailbox isn't also required to be able to be automatically accessed by the person or whatever. Yeah. The robot. So then I brought up, I was like, but what about maintaining all those robots? And he was like, no, 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 look. So at some point, the machines are making the robots that maintain the robots, right? Yes. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. You know what I mean? maintenance people so and then i was like well what about engineers to design the next robot like no no and then at some point the robots have enough ai to design the next robot to make the next <laughs> it's like yeah oh, it gets uh you might get a headache when you first hear about it like understanding like the concepts but yeah that that's where we're going um and it seems the problem is is that human beings will be like well where do i fit in all this mm-hmm. well you shouldn't we're doing they're doing jobs that we shouldn't be doing anymore like, seriously, we should not be doing these jobs anymore. And the fact that um, you're having these corporations, we'll take Amazon, for example. I hate to, like, shit on Amazon. I'm not going to shit on them. I'm just going to tell it the way it is, all right? Amazon is making billions of dollars, you know, and they're paying zero in federal taxes, zero. So the way that we, this is where I was going to kind of get into, is, like, how do we pay for it? That's, like, most people ask, is, like, how do we pay for it? How do we pay for UBI? And the easiest way to do it is just to, to do a VAT tax, a value-added tax, um, because uh, the rest of the world, th- most of the rest of the world does this. 
and I don't know why America doesn't do it. We have all these tax loopholes of like not paying taxes here in America. That's why you see Amazon and a lot of these very large corporations not paying anything in federal taxes. But if you made it so it was unavoidable to pay those taxes, where you do it through like literally small transactions, like everything they do, there's a value-added tax onto it. Um, that would pay for uh, a good portion of how to pay for UBI. Uh, I think it's something to a tune of like $800 billion. And that's like one of the, the main ways that you pay for it. There's multiple other ways, but if you have questions, go ahead and ask. So, no, I was going to make a comment. So it could be a topic for another time, but like I feel like the way we do our taxes in general, because you kind of addressed it with the VAT, is that we're taxing work right now through income tax, right? Yeah. Instead of taxing consumption like you would with the VAT tax. Yes. So you only have a few ways as like a government or an organization or as a society to incentivize or, or punish people. Right. And what you tax them for, what you say is the thing we're going to take money from you for in order to pay for these services for other people sends a message. Right. So if you do fines and you do these other things, which is another topic, um, you tell people through the taking of their money that this is a thing that, you know, I don't necessarily want you doing. And so in order to help pay for the things we want to help provide for everybody, we're going to take some of your money whenever you do that thing. Taxes on buying cigarettes or buying alcohol. We're like, we don't necessarily think that that's a good thing. So we're going to go ahead and say, hey, when you're going to pay an 8% tax whenever you buy that. If you really want to, you're welcome to, but you're going to at least help other people when you do that. So by saying, oh, whenever you work an hour, I'm going to take a little bit of that away from you. You're like, wait, I'm not supposed to work? That's the mind, like that's a thing that happens, sort of. You know, it's real subconscious, and that, that could be a whole topic. But I feel like since you brought it up, that I would I would want that on everything, right? Just just go just go full in on that, and just let the rest of it go. Yeah, I, I mean, obviously, this is probably going to be. I I think I see where the the path you're going down, but yeah, this is probably going to be a whole different conversation. But I don't think that we should have like. Um, the federal, the normal federal income tax. I don't think we should have state taxes. I, I think it should all just be consumption taxes, and that's it. Like I don't, I don't know why, because it's the way that we're doing right now. It's it, it it invites corruption through like not paying taxes and all these loopholes, because you can like if you're poor, there's like very little avenues that you have to like get out of paying taxes, like to to avoid them. You know what I mean? But once you um, acquire things like a house or other, there's other various things that you can get as well. Or, you know, you have, or you can hide your money through, you know, stock markets or whatever the fuck you want to put it. Um, you have so many more avenues to like escape taxes than a poor person does. And I think that it's wrong. Like you should, we should all be paying the same basic rate of taxes. I think it should all be through consumption because right now there, there is literally no incentive for anybody to save money. Like, like none. And also saving money is if you're if you're putting your money in a savings account, that's also probably another conversation. We're going to go the same fucking rabbit hole. But yeah, saving good. money is dumb in America, especially with like the historically low um, uh, interest rates. Yeah. Yeah. Because people don't understand that when you lower the interest rates, it also lowers the interest rates for a savings account. And they're already talking about what President Trump was. Thank goodness he got fucking voted out. But he was talking about doing the negative interest rate. Which people didn't understand. Like, yeah, that sounds great. Yeah, unless you have a savings account, and then you have to pay money, fucking extra money to put it in there. <laughs> hey, it's me, Rasan. I don't know, man. Huge hole in my, you know, yeah, <laughs> understanding. Just, my fellow Americans. <laughs> Probably here. As long as you're whatever you're doing, 
doesn't hurt anyone else, I don't care. Different perspective of what an interesting topic is than I would assume. This is Balance Exchange. Okay. So quick break for all of you. Um, yeah. We'll go that back was... to how to pay for UBI because I just talked about um, the VAT tax. Obviously, when you talk about UBI, most people, uh, if they look it up, like how much it'll, it'll cost for um, giving $1,000 a month to every single American over the age of 18, um, it'll probably come about come around to about $2.2 trillion. So like, no. oh, that's a very large amount of money, which, I mean, it is. So um, the first part would be the, the largest chunk would be through the VAT tax through actually really taxing these large corporations. Um, the other part would be through actually getting rid of government organizations that would that would become redundant because of UBI. What I mean by that what I mean by that is uh, food stamps, uh, disabilities, um, stuff like that where we're already paying people um, these sorts of money, but they're all means tested things. And mm-hmm. what I mean by means testing, it means that you have to prove that you have these certain things. This is why um, things like food stamps and um, welfare, they're so fraught with um, corruption and fraud is because there's means testing. And so if you just get rid of that shit, it would save us a whole bunch of money. Because like, um, so if you're going to get welfare, you have to make a minimum amount of income, all right, or no income. And so what a lot of people do is that they know how much income they have to not make to be on that. And so they'll they'll be there at that, you know, just the minimum amount. But if you just free them up to like, hey, I'm just going to give you this money to do whatever, you know, then it's it's no it's, it's a stick it's no longer a stigma because if everybody, everybody's getting it, it's no longer a stigma, and it also um, makes it so. Well, I already said the not stigma thing because yeah, being socially acceptable is 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 a a good deal and just having the freedom to do what, to do what the fuck you want because I think that most people that are on welfare they feel like it doesn't make you feel good being on welfare. You know what I mean? And, but in this, it was just like society is actually helping you to live. And if you want to, this gives you the freedom to do what the fuck you want to do. And it also gives the freedom for people that we talked about before, like people that were traditionally not getting paid for anything, you know, like people that are raising their kids to actually get paid money. So I'll stop it there. I'll go to the next one in a minute. So what do you, what are your thoughts on that? Like actually getting rid of some of these other redundant programs? Yeah, sorry, I muted for a second because the dog was barking, and I be quiet. I assumed all you heard was dog barking. No, no, that's no, so, fine. Like, you won't hear the dog, but um, so like so, I know that me growing up, um, we did the food bank type of stuff a lot of times too, where you could go yeah. and get like the government cheese, which was basically Alpita type cheese. Yeah. Was... I know that. Yeah, <laughs> and honestly, even as like a lance corporal in San Diego, with the cost as high as it was, with a child and getting wet, right? Yeah. <laughs> versus my income, we qualified for like everything. We were yep. on WIC. We were able to go get um, stuff at Food Locker and all these other things, um, which I really doubt if you think about the benefits we got, it was like some cheese, some formula, some bread, some vegetables, some things like, it's probably not $1,000 worth of stuff. No, no. So it, you wouldn't even need those food service programs potentially. Um, and then my mind went to like, you could even maybe not need these like soup kitchens, right? For homeless people. Yeah. Because now they're... Then I went. Wait a minute. How are the homeless people going to get their thousand dollar check? Yeah. So that's that's a, that's one thing that we will have to have to be like some research on is like how to get, you have to do like a uh, outreach program to like actually yeah. link them up with. So obviously that that will create another way smaller organization to outreach to these um, homeless people um, to show them that they have actual benefits. 
But I mean, those are already there, right? So if the soup kitchen has just become the check pickup place, yeah, boom. <laughs> you, you, hey, homeless people come through. Like, here's your check. Easy, yes, easy solution. And this is also when somebody cynical is probably going to say, "Well, homeless people are homeless people. They don't want to do anything." It, am I still freezing? Holy shit, I am still frozen. Can you hear me? Oh, what happened here? There we go. Yep. You hear me now? Okay. Yep. I saw me freeze when you said you froze, <laughs> which is weird. Yep. Um, anyway, there are going to be cynical people that are going to hear my statement and be like, well, people that are homeless, they don't want to do anything. Some of them, yeah, they, they maybe they want to be homeless. Maybe that's their decision. I totally get that. But there's a lot of folks that don't want to be homeless. And I think that this is a, this is a way out. And it's not, and it's a, it's a more eloquent way out. It's an easier way out than trying to go through all these fucking crazy programs and try to navigate all this bullshit rather than just, hey, here, I'm going to give you money and do whatever you want. People are going to be like, oh, what if they just do drugs? I don't give a fuck. I don't give a fuck. I really don't. If they want to do drugs, whatever. I mean, is it stopping them now? No. <laughs> so. I do anyways. Yeah, and I think it, it, and we can get into the whole other conversation of like how to actually fix those sorts of things, but that's not in the scope of UBI. I think if you want to get in the scope of, you know, actual mental health issues and, and substance abuse issues, then that goes more into like actual healthcare, and that's that's universal healthcare, and actually having a more compassionate system for Americans, and it also gets into like the um, the war on drugs and our current incarceration system and punishment system, which is it's which is broken. So, but yeah. that's not in the scope of what I'm talking about on what Oregon did this year might be the way we cover that those topics because that's huge you seen that yeah yeah I think it's uh, a lot of folks are really skeptical but I think it's it's a it's a it's the step in the right direction for personal sovereignty I mean listen if I can sit here and uh, get drunk on a podcast every fucking Wednesday um, then why can't I shoot up heroin every Wednesday other than <laughs> yeah. you know an understanding between the two of us that that's like more dangerous for your body. Yeah. Yeah. And like your likelihood of causing you problems. And so that if we did identify someone who needs it, we probably would all agree. Like you probably need to better understand what you're doing and the risks you're taking and that you may have a problem that we need to address. Right. Like, yes, that's the way I looked at it and the way I read it. And I wanted to read up more on it before we talked about it. But I, my thought is that that's what Oregon's doing is it's no longer criminal but we're not just going to like not pay attention to it and look the other way. Yeah. If I, I pulled you over or if I, you know, um, came to your home for another reason and identified that you had just a personal use amount of heroin on you, you would still go into a system, right? A system that says, Hey, we need to get you counseling. We need to get you assistance for your addiction or for, you know, education on the drug that you're choosing to use. Cause it's a really harsh one. Um, but you're not going to prison because of the drugs. Yeah, so I'll, I'll, I'll push back a minuscule amount. Is that if somebody gets pulled... Oh, okay, so if somebody's getting pulled over, they've obviously been... If you're... if you're, Okay, so I'm not even going to push back. If you're getting pulled over, it's assuming that you're driving a vehicle and you're mm-hmm. uh, inebriated on some sort of substance. So at that point, yes, there needs to be some sort of consequence there. But if you're just, like, living your life, then I don't really, I don't really care. But yeah, definitely don't... Um, cause a potential safety hazard for folks around you yes. if you decide to get high so yeah i retract my previous statement <laughs> and that right the 
the operation of a dangerous vehicle while under the influence or whatever. That's still the same rule no matter what you're yeah, using. Yeah, exactly. And dangerous thing. Not the, oh, I chose to use heroin. Well, like, you shouldn't be operating a car if you're drunk or high or whatever. Like, it's not a thing that's safe for anybody around you. And that's the risk that you take. If you were on a grass lot, like, doing cookies while high, I mean, yeah. you're just going to maybe hurt. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it's like, whatever. <laughs> So that's kind of, I don't know, maybe that's a good analogy that I've never done before. I've never used to, like, have a car in, in a field and doing cookies while high. Like, I don't, don't care because you're not on a road where other people are. Well, that that's what I always come back to. I mean, you know, I, I've, I don't want to say flip-flop, but I, I've changed my mind on, like, a lot of drug use things um, mm-hmm. since I've gotten out of the core. Um, obviously, because now I can I can do drugs. And, you know, some drugs are cool. I, I you know. To be honest with you, I haven't done anything crazy. I've only done like cannabis. I mean, and alcohol. That's pretty much all I really use. I haven't done any of the crazy. Not. I don't know. I'm gonna say crazy because there's uses for these things. All right, that people use. I mean, there's a lot of people use amphetamines all the time that are prescribed to them. It's fine. Yes. Um, but understanding that your personal happiness or whatever you want to do, if you're doing it on your own time, you're not hurting anybody. Like, what the fuck does that have to do with me? There's nothing to do with me. So that's the whole thing, right? Yeah. And that's that I think that gets into like the whole like libertarian thing, right? It's like if you're doing something to yourself, like I mean, who really cares? <laughs> like, yeah, until until you impact my livelihood or my wellness or my happiness, I'm not concerned. Now now if I'm running a business and your drug use impacts my ability to be happy by running that business and, and you know, impacts the ability for the rest of our employees and our organization, our society, our small society to be successful. I can then hold you accountable and relieve you of your position within the organization, right? That's my job, my business as a person running the organization. But that doesn't mean I need a law that tells me it's illegal and they need to go to jail for it. I just would say, you're no longer being helpful here. I'm going to need you to go. Yeah, and there's and there's already laws for like all the other stuff. Like if you if you're just high, I don't care. But if you're high and then you're doing some other fucked up shit, but there's already already laws for that other fucked up shit. So yeah, same thing with like employment. Like if you're if you cannot if you're so high at work that you cannot literally do your job, then yeah, you deserve to get fired. So it's like, I mean, come on, that 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 was your own personal choice. Deal with the personal consequences. So because I was still in, and I knew you were too. Like when you could have two beers at lunch. <laughs> yeah 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 like that way it's like but even one like if it's at lunch and i have five hours plus probably before i go home like and i'm eating a meal at the same time and it's not really impairing my ability to do my work i don't understand like but you know what i miss i'll tell you one of the things that i missed most from the marine corps is when i was in garrison even though i hated being in garrison but it was having two-hour lunches i don't know do you, do you guys still do that uh, it's like an hour and a half. Yeah, still, that's way more than what you get in corporate life normally. Because what I would do is I would I would eat and then just take a nap or maybe work out, but and then take a nap. <laughs> so, yeah, I remember at my very first school in like Pensacola, I would pretty much go get fast chow, which took two minutes. Yeah, and my room and eat while playing Diablo two or Starcraft, and nice. do that the whole. And then like look at the clock and go, oh crap, I'm not gonna make it back to class on time. <laughs> yeah, and then like haul back to class and be like i wasn't feeling really good i had some fast food chicken and then like, <laughs> up. Uh, sorry i was like <laughs> yeah those are some <laughs> of the some of the... i gotta watch i'm gonna be really careful about it i'm probably gonna do like a whole like personal podcast on like my what it was like for me to be a marine for my you know short five years 
Um, and it's I think it's it's not what people are what most of the winners are going to expect. It's really it's really not. <laughs> so anyway, no, oh yes, it's most people. Yeah, it's 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 interesting. <laughs> you already know, yeah. Especially being at McSess, like you know. Yeah, it's an interesting area here in, in uh, 29 Palms. Yeah. Okay, so the third way that we pay for it, so sorry, there was there's four things altogether of how we pay for it, and the fourth one I actually don't agree with, but I'll tell you about the third one. And the third one is having uh, additional revenue uh, through taxes by uh, having additional purchasing power for more Americans through having UBI. So more people will be, will be able to buy more shit, therefore more taxes will come in. So, so like opposite of trickle-down, Yes, trickle up economics, trickle up, trickle up economics. So, yeah. and that's it's way more easier for me to digest than trickle down economics. I don't. When I used to consider myself a Republican, I thought that trickle down economics made so much sense. But now that I'm more educated, it makes no fucking sense. I'm, I'm relying on somebody that makes that's wealthy to buy stuff so that I can get paid. So my my argument, I guess, would be that there's no reason to buy all in on one system, right? Yeah. So the idea that we support these organizations that are hiring lots of people while we do this transition to AI, because it's going to take a decades, decades to really get to that full point where we're like, what are we going to do with all these people? But even right now, the idea that like supporting companies which hire people so that they can work and make money to pay taxes so that we get more taxes isn't wrong. It just isn't shouldn't be the only thing we do i think the idea of diversifying our portfolio like they would recommend that we do anyways yeah. by saying why don't we give some money here to those who really need it so they can spend more money on amazon who's wait they're not paying taxes who should be paying taxes and then yeah <laughs> but the vat and all the other things so like you put that thousand dollars in and we take 10 percent of that back anyways because we're going to get it back through the taxes on the vat that they all the stuff that they buy yeah um so when I talk sales tax and that, I want to clarify too, like if you look at the th list of things that are on the bottom layer of Maslow's hierarchy, those are not taxed. You're not taxing food. You're not taxing water. You're not taxing your, your home other than through the normal like taxes we have currently, but not like a purchase tax. Like, because, and maybe over a certain dollar amount I would consider on a house now, now that I'm thinking about it. But if it's a part of the like survival we shouldn't be also taxing you for staying alive. Yeah, that's that's one thing that people don't they don't understand. It's like you you're literally you're paying taxes for shit to stay alive. and it's like way more than what people think. Well, most people think that taxes are like this this one or two certain things, but they don't understand like all the things that they actually pay taxes for. It's like you're paying taxes probably like 10 to 15 times every year for just staying alive. Like just look at all your bills. Your bills have taxes on them. You also get taxed by uh, your paychecks before you even get your money. You also get taxed by everything you buy. You also get taxed by registering your car. You also get taxed if you own a home. You also get taxed if you decide to go on a fucking toll road. You know, you also, you get taxed for all this other extra nonsense that people just, we're so used to paying all these things. Where it's like, why are we paying all these things for like the minimum amount of of return like our roi on our taxes are so fucking low it's crazy like if you live anywhere in america just think about like when you're driving down you know just in your local area you've seen streets that are fucked up you've seen people that are homeless like more than likely you know there's like places where you don't want to drive why is it like that think about how much you pay in taxes 
and then think about how much you're not getting back for paying your taxes. You know, there should be a better way. There's got to be, and and again, I think that the right solution isn't a solution, right? It's it's many, many, many little changes, adjustments, and trying new things, um, seeing how it works, and accepting that we need to validate those results, like do testing and check, say that works, and then accept that as a new system to add or remove it and try something else. Um, but that's not how I work now. Yeah. Social security and income tax since 1937 or whatever, and haven't changed any of those systems. Yeah. Despite the fact that we can look at them and know that they're broken and not working. Ridiculous. Yeah, it, it really is. I mean, we're, we're, it's the, America has done like this, probably a record of the momentum of ideas. You know what I mean? Like we, we've round the same momentum for, since the 1700s and pretty close yeah it's it, it just we just keep rolling on it it's just like oh yeah it's the way it's always been it's like but we all know it's not working for everybody we all know it it's not working not work for everybody and don't get me wrong it'll never work for everybody more than likely but we can definitely up the percentage easily but as long as you're not the person in the bottom you don't give a fuck well, yeah and i think that's so that's a problem with you know most conversations and stuff is and it's it's not possible. It's not possible to get around or overcome, right? That um, you're going to have some personal bias at how you look at those systems. And like, we're looking at these concepts and these conversations from our positions right now where we both are comfortable, like we're not yeah. struggling. So it's easy to have these dialogues and say, this is what I think, you know, might help these people that aren't where we are. And, and maybe, I don't know, maybe we can talk some other time about your story on it, but like, aren't where I am now, but I know where I was once upon a time and I know how I got here. And I yeah. think ways to get more people here. Um, I do think a lot of it needs to come from work, like in wanting to get there, which not everybody does want, but I think that there's some inherent requirement for all of us to, to like give a shit a little bit to make sure that everybody's just not, doesn't even have the chance, right? If you don't even have the chance to work towards those things because you're not even, worrying about anything other than really where am I going to eat next? And you've, you've given up the chances you maybe had to reach for a couple of those opportunities. And now there's no more opportunities. Yeah. We need to keep giving people these opportunities because, because I'm an internal optimist, I guess. And like, I think that as long as you keep giving people chances, they'll eventually get there and, and try. Um, uh, that's kind of the way I look at it. So I see the, the benefits in this kind of a concept where it keeps that, keeps that opportunity there. Um, but I'm also concerned with the, you know, $15 an hour McDonald's cashier, which should probably just be a automated machine where I push the buttons and the thing gets made in the back. Cause yes. does a person need paid $15 an hour to have a conversation with me to push buttons on a screen? Probably not. Yeah. So there's value in the work that you do, but I also think that you're, there's value in you as a human being and we need to find, find the balance between those two. And it's hard. Yeah. It's not an easy thing. It's it, it it pushes more into like a, a, a human centered um, economy, like where it's like you as a human has value rather than, you know, the, the work that we think that people need to do has value it, because there's things that are out there. Like, like, for example, is the what you just said, you know, the whole minimum wage thing is it. I don't think there should even be a fucking minimum wage. I don't. Yeah. Uh, honestly, um, I think, you know, when I first started working, when I was 13 years old, I worked at a record store for like three bucks an hour. It's way under minimum wage. I didn't give a fuck. I just, I just want to know how to work. 
<laughs> I want to know how to like how how stuff got done, and um, I was happy to to get that three dollars an hour. And don't get me wrong, I don't think that everybody should get paid three dollars an hour. I totally understand that people would want a minimum wage, but it's like if you're working at minimum wage, you should not be there for any length of period of time. You shouldn't be. And I understand that there right now there's there's a scarcity of work, and that's where the problem comes in. That folks don't really seem to understand is that there's a scarcity of work right now. And it's going to keep getting worse. It's going to, it's it's not going to get. There's no way that it's going to get better. Um, so don't expect for these minimum wage jobs be, to become more abundant. Because look, look what happened when, um, when automation first started like really rearing its head. Mm-hmm. We started seeing more and more of these minimum wage jobs going towards older people, because they mm-hmm. had experience and they're fucking over the younger generation so just like these millennials and the, the whatever the new generation is going to be called they're just getting fucked yeah. by the, the last generation what were you gonna say you didn't come through you know what we're calling the next generation yet because i think i'm the oldest millennial like year i'm a gen xer <laughs> still up until 1980 is x right yeah i was, I was born in 79 that's the cutoff the 80- is when millennials start. Yeah. I was born like I am not a freaking millennial, but technically I'm a millennial. Yeah, I, I don't get listen, it, it, to me it's it I don't consider you a millennial if you can remember a time before the internet. Yeah. So, I don't consider you a millennial. Yeah. Came in since you were 8 years old. Yeah, yeah. I remember when I first I remember when TVs were still fucking black and white cuz I was we were poor. You know what I mean? And then getting yeah. color TV and then yeah. I think we had our, our like our first NES was on one of those cabinet TVs too. Yeah. It was like the full system was all in one, and yeah. the, the NES sat on top of it with the bunny ears behind it. That like if you can remember that. Yeah, you had to go to Channel Three. <laughs> I mean, like, let me tell you a fucked up story. Um, it's about video games too. So my uh, this is when the N sixty four first came out. This is how fucked up my parents were. Uh, <laughs> is that I was asking for an N sixty four for. Christmas yeah. when it first came out. My parents got it for me for Christmas. All right, so I was like, all right, I get a fucking N64. It's awesome. I got it in the box, and then I went to go plug in the TV. In the back, it was the old fucking uh, coax cable thing. It didn't come with coax. It was RCA cables, and I was like, fuck. I was like, all right. So I'm literally I'm calling up my local um, video game store. I'm like, all right. So how much does it cost for this like converter cable? He told me. The cost, I was like, all right, so I'm like literally naming off games that I, that I will sell to them to get like this converter cable. And then my mom heard me having this conversation. She hung up the phone. She's like, we don't have what we need. And she fucking returned it. Bruh, she returned it. <laughs> I was like, oh my God. Games. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, that's rough. Because I think I didn't get an N64 until way after they were out. And we had a TV that matched it by then. Yeah, I I never got one, obviously. So <laughs> yeah, <laughs> I got used. That's how long it was. Like I managed to find one. Someone else was selling. I think I got it with my paper route. So after I got my first computer, nice. My first computer I purchased at twelve years old with a paper route money. <laughs> nice. Well, I had a, I had a PC. I was a P, at the time I was really a PC gamer, um, but I still played consoles. Um, but I was mostly a PC gamer, so it was okay. Um, but yeah. Uh, anyway, the the fourth thing, how to pay for it, which I don't believe in, is the carbon tax. So, okay. 
I'm not selling the carbon tax. So the idea that corporations, companies, manufacturers are taxed for how much carbon footprint they produce? Yeah, yeah. I mean, the, the idea of it, like, I, I understand, but it doesn't... It gets... I, I'll give the perfect example when it comes to corporations and wrongdoing. When it comes mm-hmm. to... Not Pfizer. What was the fucking company that made... Uh, Purdue Pharma. And it comes to Oxycontin. Oxycontin mm-hmm. has killed probably hundreds of thousands of people. Hundreds of thousands of people through Oxycontin mm-hmm. alone. All right? Yeah. That's being generous. <laughs> and um, they find them... I don't need, They made trillions off that single prescription... And they, they find them billions. So it's like literally, if I would have killed, I don't know, th- 300 people and you find me 30 bucks. Okay. Yeah. Like, that's that means nothing to me. So can you clarify how Oxycontin directly killed people? Yeah, it's because they um, when they first started uh, doing the prescription for Oxycontin, they told them that it was not... Um, it was not... Ah, you wouldn't get addicted. It was it was a non-addictive uh, substance, and so all these doctors, yeah, they just kept prescribing oxycontin to all these people. And they told them that it was not addictive, and so people would take it, and they would they would die from taking too much of it. Or what would happen is that they would, they would take a bunch of it, and they would get addicted to it, and then they would get out the prescription, and they have to go to heroin. So and that's how it would directly cause death. Yeah, because I was tracking the the you know opioid addiction due to a prescription leading to heroin and to me that's an indirect right like we could we could potentially solve that if at the end of your prescription we provide you with the support necessary to break the addiction to it but like if it's overdosing while taking it yeah that's a direct that's a direct issue (laughs) yeah have you ever taken oxycontin before no i had morphine so so i've had i've been prescribed morphine um i've had pretty serious uh i have a, I have, a bi- I have a bilary dyskinesia which is like a fucking really weird disease but i i get prescribed morphine for a while and i will tell you at least for me personally um oxycontin when i took it was like way more uh of a erasive experience than mm. morphine was so when i was in iraq when i was a contractor i was going to do a workout at the gym and I stepped out onto like a piece of plastic and I rolled my ankle and it, I heard it snap and it ended up being a broken ankle. And I didn't know because I went to the dock and it was like, oh, no, you know, I don't think it's broken. And I was like, dude, I can't walk. Like, I'm in fucking shock as I'm talking to you. And you're like, no, nah, what's up? I Change your socks, drink water, ibuprofen, stretch, you're good. Yeah. But I was just like, my shit's fucked. Like, I'm pretty sure it's fucked. And he's like, no, 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 you're good. I'm like, okay, fine, whatever. And then I had to convince him to give me crutches. And so because he told me that it wasn't broken, uh, the next, I think I waited like three days and I was back on the, on the elliptical, like just fucking doing whatever. Six months later, I, I went to a real doctor <laughs> and they were like, yeah, you broke your tibia off in your ankle and it's still in there. Like you probably should get surgery. I still haven't gotten surgery, but I probably should have gotten it. Um, but a friend of mine who had back surgery before he came to Iraq, who's also a contractor, I was like, dude, I'm in a lot of pain. They didn't give me shit. He's like, I can give you this Oxycontin, man. Like, it'll take the pain away. I took one of these things, and it erased my entire fucking day. The next day, I could not read a fucking email. Literally could not read an email. I was like, what? That's crazy. 
Yeah, no, I never did. And the morphine was just once from surgery. And so it, it doesn't work the same when there's that high level of pain. Like the same as probably should have worked with Oxycontin, I would assume. And maybe yeah. that's, I don't know. Weird. Well, morphine, when but, it's, I had morphine, um, obviously I have morphine through like um, surgeries, but I, was, I got prescribed it through like pills. And the pill form of morphine, I think is, it's probably different from like the injected sort because when they injected me, yeah, I feel fucking much better. But taking it mm -hmm. orally um, was was different. Okay, yeah, because mine was definitely the injection, so that's probably the difference then. Yeah, the injection. Yeah, that that should definitely Works. ease the pain. Right. Yeah. <laughs> so, so I've, I'm gonna point out too, like it's a little bit of a different correlation between the two, rather than a direct representation of the same concept where a fine and a tax aren't the same thing. No, no, so no. They're, they're wrongdoings and then calculating exactly how much whatever and then taxing based on that are two different things. But that doesn't mean that there's not also a way around whatever that calculation is that says this is your carbon footprint and you're going to pay a tax based on that. Well, you just pay off whoever that moderator is or whoever the person who observes your site is to rate you lower and you save a trillion dollars. Yeah. Yeah. I think that there should be better incentives towards, um, actually, I mean, honestly, this is where the industry is going and I don't understand why there's no more common sense things. It's like, well, just look at like fucking Tesla and don't get me wrong. Like there's a whole argument to be made to like, where are they getting the materials to make fucking batteries? Yeah, I get that. But batteries are also, if you have a gas tank, you have to refill that fucking gas tank. All right. Um, when I refill a battery, um, where that, uh, energy is coming from is dependent on me. I mean, if I have a solar array on my fucking house, then it's coming from the goddamn sun. You know, if it's coming from, you know, some other means, um, that's where you're already getting electricity to your house anyway. So for me, it's kind of like a, a less of a moral issue because you need to get electricity anyway. And the electricity that you're getting is probably not from a fucking, well, for most people, probably not from a coal factory anymore. Oil, not from oil. Probably Did not you? for, for, a, for, a for, a, for, a, I would not say a lot for some people. It's probably not from oil or um, a coal factory. So, because yeah, if it's, if it's July in California at 6 p.m., it's probably from oil. Really? <laughs> so, like, it's this weird thing where surge surge times California has two major oil based um, and natural gas based power plants that only operate when surge comes, which is generally oh, summertime in the I evening. Yeah, well, well, I guess that that's where um, we could definitely use some sort of, I don't want to say regulations, but government means to give incentives towards going off of that model. Because I, I understand the reason why the model exists, because it's way easier to spin up a oil-based or, you know, carbon-based uh, engine system to deal with the surge. Um, but yeah. if, if we put in the same amount of time to actually store... Um, some of these more, I hate using the term green, but these green systems, which we don't have currently. Um, so like we, we have so much wasted energy that goes through like solar and very inefficient, um, you know, wind and various other means like, you know, hydropower, or whatever. It's, it's just wasted because we don't have enough actual storage for it. So I just got solar panels installed. That's why I like just did some research on some of these things. Cause I watched some videos about why am I even doing this? Yeah. And, Wait, hold on. So, hold on. Before you tell your story, did you go? Did you do a battery backup? Yep. All right. Cool. So you did it the right way. All right. So go ahead. <laughs> a Tesla backup in the garage. Nice. Um, and for 
honestly, honestly, one reason, which is that they had an app. <laughs> the, the LG option that Sunrun gave me was just there as a like a power backup in case we lose power. But the Tesla one has an app that lets you like specify exactly how you want it to support your power system. Nice. So I was like, I want that. I want to be able to. Uh, and I still haven't gotten there. So right now it's just set up as a as like a backup system. And what it does is. Uh, as soon as we go sundown and the solar panels turn off, it goes down to 75% powering us uh, because I I feel like that's a probably safe place to start uh, so that the next day when the sun comes up, it charges itself up while also powering the house and it doesn't seem to overrun us. But um, what I want to have happen is long-term, it charges during highest cost or during lowest cost hours for us. Like when the solar panels are up, it stays charged or just charges off hours when it's low dollar, low cost amounts for us. And then, supports us during the highest cost hours so that way we're not pulling energy using the battery pack. It, like basically save money more than anything else. So ex- kind of explain for the listeners the reason why you would want to get a battery. I know, but the listeners probably don't know is why you would want to get a battery backup with your solar panels. Two, So two primary reasons that I can think of. Um, one being that in the event of a power outage um, and it's nighttime, because so, even in a power outage, if it's solar, I still have power. I'm good. But um, if there's a power outage that goes through the night, um, my battery backup can still power my house for whatever I need. So I don't lose my charging capability. I don't lose my microwave. I don't lose whichever things I specifically put on circuit breakers because there's only 10 circuit breakers. So you have to choose 10 items <laughs> in your house, basically, which is kind of a pain. But um, so, like, you know, you obviously go fridge, freezer where it's plugged in. So that way my food stays viable during any long power outages. Um, so there's that, right? It functions as a pseudo generator, basically already immediately in the grid, ready to go. Um, two is that that during peak charge hours, like cost, like the most cost prohibitive timeframes, you can actually have the battery backup. If you don't have enough solar back you up rather than pulling from the grid so that you don't get charged a large amount of money to run systems in your house, uh, that you might need to run rather than needing to pull power from the grid. So that's the way I look. Is there, you think of another reason? Well, do, do they do uh, buybacks where you're at anymore? I know they've been rolling yeah. back. SCE is our power provider, and they do have a net metering process where you can, if you're providing power back to the power company, they will then give you credits, basically. And if you like, so like, right, during the summer, I'm going to generate more energy, but I'm also going to be consuming more, but I think is going to be more, so I'll actually produce more than I'm using, so that I'm going to be pushing energy out to the grid allowing people around us to, <laughs> to potentially be able to use that energy. Um, so then they'll give us credits so that right now, while the generation's low because the sun is so far south um, that we're pulling a little more than we're producing, um, we really wouldn't cost, it wouldn't cost us anything. So then all we're paying is like an annual fee for being hooked to the grid. Nice. Yeah, I think like a lot of folks that didn't know until I started doing research, I didn't know this either is that if you have solar uh, panels and the power goes out, uh, your pa- your power goes out as well, like even if you have solar panels. Because what happens is um, if you have solar panels, it's a safety precaution. Because if, if you have solar, pan- solar panels and you're producing power and you're putting it back into the grid, um, they have to cut off your power. So that means cutting off all your power. So your, your house, if you have just solar panels with no battery backup, if the grid goes down, you still go down. But if you have a battery backup, you're still good to go. Yeah, because yes, yeah, because it's really the backup that's powering you, and the solar panels charging the back. 
Yeah, and it cuts you off from the grid altogether. It's just, it's really odd. Because I had to do, like, this whole research on, like, off the grid, on the grid, fucking shit. It's just, like, weird. I don't have solar panels, but eventually I, I will. I mean, we could talk, um, maybe not, because we kind of covered most of it. But so I think the right solution forward for power is there still should be some plants. I still think nuclear is pretty good. But um, I like the idea that if if we regulated solar for households, right, where the estimates that they produce generally right now are they, they calculate your highest cost month and then or how highest consumption months, which are generally summer months, and then try to generate a power plant on your roof that's 1.2% or whatever of that is. Like basically you want to 102%. Like you don't a little more, but not much. Instead, we said the regulation is like you need a power plant on your roof that's 110% or something. Yeah. So until everyone has one, we're generating more additional for everybody else to use. Eventually, we're at the point where we're all producing power for ourselves and a little bit for anybody who's not got their solar panels installed yet. Yeah. Well, it makes sense, especially for like, you know, places where you have a lot of sunshine. Sure. Like, like, Valley and <laughs> yeah yeah i mean <laughs> where you live is perfect um but yeah. not for you know like canada <laughs> so or other places but it's also if you, if you can extend the grid this is what in the future this is my, my vision of the future is just have a fucking a, a large solar array like near the equator like above the fucking the um the cloud line all the time it's always there and then it'd be free power for pretty much anybody just extend the grid but we so like we get the we get the space cables. Yeah, and we like somewhere along those connect them all with solar panels at the equator. And we're good. Yeah, I mean, you ever watched uh, Gundam before, like the anime? Yeah, they had like the the space fucking uh, elevators. Yeah, it's like we need to do something like that, but we're so uh, the, we're so dumb. Mars series I talked to you about. I'm space listening. Elevator. I'm listening to the red Mars right now. So I just started They're, today. Just big push towards space elevators and that at some point too. So it's pretty cool. Yeah, I mean, we need to do it, but it's just we, us as humans, we're so tribal and we don't like to work with other people. And I, we need to change as as humans. So, like, right, being a multi-planet species would be helpful. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it really would. But it's it's gonna honestly, I think that what it's gonna take for us to be to really come together as one is like a serious threat from an extraterrestrial means. I mean, I thought it would have been a fucking crazy-ass virus like COVID-19, but obviously that didn't work. Nobody gives a shit about other humans. Did you... Oh, so I, we're going down some rabbit holes, sorry. It's um, fine. Did you see the Starship SN8 12.5-kilometer test? I did not. I heard something about, like, something blew up, but it was supposed to be blowing up or some shit. Is that the one? Spectacularly. Oh, yeah. my gosh, it was amazing. <laughs> I say it that way because it was a really, really good test. So, so far they've only ever done like a little hop, like just to kind of just, just test that it's thruster systems worked and they can vector everything they want to. So this thing launched 12 and a half kilometers up, like basically as far as while you're still in the atmosphere from that point on, you start talking, you're in like, you want low atmosphere um, thrusters. You want it to kind of change your actual um, engine profile. You want to change to a different nozzle. That's when they generally drop stage one and switch to a stage two, which is more of an outer space thing. So they, they get to this altitude where they know they're going to do that. And they just, they cut it all off. There was a whole bunch of stuff happening on the way there where they're like, I'm sure, I'm sure looking at it, I'm like, they're going to need to figure out why that happened. Cause there was a couple engines that like caught side sections on fire and some other stuff. <laughs> like, it could be nervous, but it all kept working and they cut engines 
and then they like do this little um like gas release vectoring of it to let it go belly flop flowing down and it just falls super slow Whoa. it's like got its out and it's like guiding itself down and it guides itself right back towards the launch pad so it flew 12 and a half kilometers like a normal launch sideways out way 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 from the pad and then brings itself back um and they, the guy I was watching, he he said it's like a Buzz, buzz Lightyear moment. It's falling with style. You know, it's not flying. It's falling with style. <laughs> yeah. And uh, and then just as it's about to land, it, it kicks the engines back on, thrusts itself back into, like, its vertical position, like the other rockets that SpaceX uses. Yeah. It's coming down, and it's, like, this far from the ground on the screen, and, like, one of the engines just dies. <laughs> like, just stopped working. Oh, shit. So they to hold it, and it's, like, <laughs> hits, hits real hard, and just <laughs> everything explodes. Wow. So but what's really good is all those other systems, all those like things they needed to test all worked. The only thing was like just a little bit on the landing and yeah. they uh, serial number nine is like already re- ready to come out and start testing. So yeah, it's I, think, be- I mean, people were like, you know, people that are not in uh, science at all. They're just like, Oh, look at it exploded. Blah, blah, blah. Like they're fucking tests though. Like yeah. if you expect every test to like to pass, then you're an idiot. Like that's why, that's why you test. Yeah. If it had, if it had, like landed perfectly too. I'm pretty sure several people at SpaceX would have like shit their pants because there's no way that should have even done all of the stuff it did on the first test like that. Yeah, that was the first big launch test. Um, every other serial number has like blown up while trying to ignite or just doing little movements, just trying to get the engine balance right with that large of a ship because that thing is that's the ship that's supposed to take us to Mars. Yeah, and I think I don't know. We're living in a weird time where, like, people are like anti-intellectual, anti-science, to where they don't understand. Like, getting to Mars is like a huge deal for just like humans in general. Like you already mentioned it earlier, it's like being, you know, getting to another planet as humans is a huge deal. Like, what if something happens here on this planet to where we cannot no longer sustain, and there's no, there isn't enough time for us to like, you know, fix it. And we have to yeah. go to another planet. Like, that'd be it for us. And people just don't... Because, like, the, the argument is, oh, well, if you can terraform Mars, then why don't you just terraform terraform Earth and fix it? Well, what if there's something that's, that happens here? Like, I don't know. A bunch of asshole fucking countries decide to nuke each other. And you don't have enough fucking time to fix it. Like, you, you can't fix a nuclear winter, you know, in a, in a short amount of time frame. So... And so the argument starts getting a little easier to make clear when you say, look, that the initial people who will be doing all this terraforming of Mars, you're talking about like 300 to maybe 2000 people doing science work. Like yeah. people are there for a purpose with a goal, all working towards the thing, same thing, which is not how we are here. Like there's no way we could agree on a solution to a problem. If you're mentioning it as hey, there's a problem with our, our global environment, we can't even agree that there's a problem. Yeah. Especially right now. Yeah. We see it right now. And go. Uh, it's got a carbon dioxide atmosphere. It's really low. It's like three percent of our current atmosphere. Maybe we could fix that. Any scientist who goes there knows that that's their goal and objective. If that's what we decide on, um, except for the ones who show up and we just want Mars to stay the same, because you're, you're going to read some more about that. <laughs> no, I, I got some hints to it even in the first like couple hours of the book. It's just like, all right, <laughs> yeah. crazy, crazy witch lady. But yeah. Uh, so like, but. I think I made this comment and you're like, I really hope not um, during our birthday celebration. But, but like there is a natural human inclination to need an us versus them mentality in order to get a group together. 
So by putting us on Mars, that's not us anymore. That's Mars. Yeah. And we are now Earth. And then suddenly Earth could maybe have some kind of a unification and agreement that this is some things we need to get done for ourselves. Because look at those people on Mars. We might need to worry about them. And, and suddenly now we can maybe be a little more unified. It, it's uh, it's one of the very few very pessimistic things that I think about and say. <laughs> no. <laughs> very but on that span, on that particular topic, I just see it as a very fundamental human thing where you, a group of people, in order to agree, need something to agree against, not for. Yeah, I, I, this is unfortunate. So yeah, when when I made the comment, it's like, it's me being sort of altruistic. Is I don't I don't want it to happen, but it's to, at this point, human nature dictates that that's the way it's always going to be. Like, because mm -hmm. everybody wants to be us versus them. Where I'm just like. It doesn't need to be us, uh, us versus them. It should be all of us together, like making humanity better. But um, it, it has not changed in human history. We, we need an enemy to really yeah. progress forward. And um, I just wish it wasn't that way. Like, it's it's easy for me to say now that I'm like, I'm not a hippie. But, you know, like I'm, I'm outside the Marine Corps. I've like experienced other shit. And it's just like, we could do shit better. And yeah. I think that having like the whole us versus them thing is it's it's flawed logic but it does motivate most people yeah so i i can't i can't argue that did before i say the next thing did we cover what you wanted to cover oh yeah yeah no no no. it was just i was talking about the carbon tax thing we already went through how i i wasn't totally sold on so yeah that was my basic thing for you, you carbon tax yeah carbon tax i don't i'm not totally sold on so Primarily, it's discussed on a like corporate level, like manufacturing and production get taxed based on their carbon footprint. Should we tax individuals the same way? Yeah, that's that goes down a rabbit hole. So yeah. Yeah. How do you calculate that? Like, yeah, that's why I'm not you, sold on it. <laughs> like power bill each month, and like, like how, how do we figure this out? I don't even know. Yeah, I, I think that the other three other three factors uh, covered should cover the vast majority. Of how to pay for for UBI, especially just the VAT tax and getting rid of all these other bullshit um, government entities, should cover most of that. And I, I think I, for, go, go ahead. ahead. No, no, go ahead. <laughs> yeah, I think part of it is like, okay, I could support that, and then how do I practically implement that? Is two parts of any of these discussions. Like, it needs to be a thing we can actually functionally make happen. And I feel like that's the issue with the fourth one. And I think that's probably where you're hesitating too, is how do I, how do I do it? Right. I get the idea. And I think the idea is good. And I think that maybe for some, some organizations, we could start it and start learning how we implement it. And then maybe be able to figure out ways to apply it to other things. But like right now, I, I have no idea, honestly, how to even implement that system at a level, anything other than like huge manufacturing plants. Like, so I, I have stock in a like steel production company like i could see them being able to have a pretty easy evaluation conducted by an organization and like okay this is the amount of carbon footprint calculation that you have and then you're taxed based on that calculation um but then like what's the carbon footprint for walmart like do we calculate the number of miles driven by every single diesel truck that they have and then what speed was he going and <laughs> yeah the, the factors entirely so because i watched this thing on um the massive shipping um vessels like the ships that are like the just the huge shipping ships and um so if you look at carbon footprint if we wanted to look at like a simple solution um they have a 
based on the amount of stuff that they do and the amount that they produce, like their percentage is really high. So based on costs, not on trying to be green, Mayer's obviously like the hugest production company like for those things and the ones who do most of the shipping um, decided to reduce the speed of all of their ships by like four knots, <laughs> right? It ends their, their, their movement time by like a day or two to move these huge shipments from place to place, but it reduced their amount of fuel consumption by like 14%. Yeah. Like, hey, if we reduce the fuel costs or we reduce the fuel consumption across these same trips and only extend our day amount by this, we still make this much money and we don't spend this much money, so it's good. But it's like, it also reduced your carbon footprint by like this huge amount. Yeah. So that, that made me think, I'm like, well then, if a semi-truck is going a certain speed and diesel, like all these things, like, oh my God, the calculations start getting crazy. And if we're trying to figure that out for these companies, that's a huge well, part of it. That and that, that's where automation would actually help, you know, even more. It's just like another kind of nail in the coffin for people doing anything. But like it, when, when it comes, yeah, I mean, when it comes to like the carbon tax, for, for me, it's like, listen, uh, UBI in using the VAT tax. So most people think of like the VAT tax as like being like a, a certain rate for everything. You can make the VAT tax like an elegant solution. It's like, hey, you can do you can either raise or lower the VAT tax depending on the product and what you're doing. So if yeah, if you want to have like, you know, we'll say shipping like you just a good example, shipping things across certain distances through ships, you can either raise or lower the VAT tax depending upon, you know, how much carbon there happen to be happen to be consuming or producing. Um, you can use that same solution towards that. I don't think you really need to have like an actual separate carbon tax for that. Be like, hey, listen, if you want to do these things, then we're just going to up the VAT tax up certain percentage points if you decide to do it, you know, a certain way. So I don't know why yeah. you need to have a separate thing for that. One of the concerns usually brought up when I bring up like a flat VAT style, like a sales tax, um, is generally that for those who are extremely wealthy, um, they don't spend on a regular basis any kind of a significant portion of their actual wealth, right? Whereas the person who is struggling is spending a very large portion of their money all of the time. So even a small tax of that percentage of their spending is a significant portion of the amount that they have. Right? Yeah. As for someone who has a whole lot, the amount that they spend is very little. So then taxing that little bit they spend does not tax all this wealth. So one of the things I thought of, and I don't know how viable, I haven't done all the math, was that the VAT should increase percentage rate based on dollar amount. So like if you're buying a $500,000 yacht, the percentage of tax on that $500,000 yacht is like 40% instead of the 8% you're paying down at the, the $200 and right mark. And so then you just keep increasing that thing until you're up to like a $5 million house or whatever. Well, a house may be a bad example because I say houses shouldn't get taxed that specifically because it's living, but maybe that's only up to a dollar amount, right? Like, or square footage or i don't know find a way to say like this is no longer a house that you need to live in yeah this is a mansion that you didn't need to spend that money on and you suddenly are now in the taxing bracket right like well yeah that's what uh that's what yang talked about when he was talking about um he would he would up the the vat tax on um i hate saying vat tax because it's value added tax tax it's like saying a fucking atm machine anyway when he's talking about VAT. I say VAT tax because most people aren't, aren't used to hearing the word VAT here in America, so I say VAT tax. Um, Make your CAC. Yeah, CAC card. Fucking hate hearing that shit. Anyway, is that for luxury items, you would up yeah. the amount significantly. Because yeah. for the reasons why you just you just explained. Because you, you can make it variable. 
So yeah, he actually even said the word yacht, talking about it. like, hey, if you want to buy a yacht, you can do that, but we're gonna up the the vet for a yacht to like forty or fifty percent, and that's just the way it's gonna be. So yeah, because me or you might go buy a fishing boat or like a small a small boat to go out a I mean, kayak. I, I want a yacht. I'm just just saying. <laughs> I like it, I don't see that ever happening. I would buy like a cheap houseboat. <laughs> like a trailer on a pontoon <laughs> you know it's funny so one of the guys when we're uh on the uh marine corps birthday where we, where we met there's a guy in there his name is Spiewak, which i didn't rec- he was one, one of our best friends in the marine corps but i, I, didn't, rec- I didn't recognize him because I, I didn't know he got out because we used to both be uh 40 66s and he hated the marine corps and he got out and then he came back as a grunt, and he loved it. I think he he just retired. And so when I saw him on the chat, he was he had a beard, and I was like, "Who the fuck is that?" He looks like my friend, but that's not that dude. Anyway, it was him and his girlfriend. That oh, I'm sorry, his wife now that he married he has a couple of kids with. Um, her parents were were wealthy, and so they they had a legit yacht, which I got to visit every now and again, which is weird in the Marine Corps, like actually seeing wealth. <laughs> yeah, it's usually someone else's. <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> yeah. By um I don't know if I should say this. <laughs> so there there's someone I know who talks about like a lot of the enlisted Marines and like even staff and CEOs and below or whatever and talks about them making um making peasant wages. <laughs> <laughs> I mean it's Yeah. Wrong. It's not wrong. I mean, yeah. I didn't make a lot of money when I was in the corps, but I was only a fucking corporal max when I was in. Yeah, I was I was a terminal lance until I extended. It only took twenty years, but I'm doing okay now. Yeah, it takes takes a while, and then once you get out, you'll. Well, actually, it's weird. So, like, when you get out as like a a marine with like skills, after you, you know, you're gonna have viable skills when you get out. It's like, what are you gonna do? You know, you're gonna. I'm. So. I'm faced with that choice then, right? Because my Marine Corps training skills, so 20, I could say, you know, 20 years of experience in whatever, whatever, have zero to do with what I want to do, which is what I have my education in. And so I have a, a real hard decision at that point. And it's really a three-way decision. So it's like, do I stay in the technical field, stick to the communication stuff, the stuff that I've spent a long time doing and keep doing the same thing? Do I go with the stuff I educated myself on, uh, political science, social interaction, organization management, um, or do I do more stuff like this and get more into production and things that I really enjoy? Um, and so it's a, it's a tough. I got a few years, but we'll see. It's it doesn't mean I have to be exclusively one or the other, but I feel like I need to make one the like the primary thing that I'm doing, and then the other is the hobby, and I just. I don't know which way that's going to go. Well, I think you have a very unique freedom to do sort of whatever you want. I mean, because obviously you're going to have at least a portion of your income covered for the rest of your life. And that's that's fucking awesome. Yeah. So like at this point with 20 years as a chief of officer four, which I can't keep that, I would have to have, it would be as a three because it's top three. So you have to spend three years in your top rank when you retire in order to get that pay 100% like as 50%. Huh. Okay. That makes sense. Calculation as percentage gets really complicated. So if I wanted to have Chief Monster 4 pay retirement, 50% of that, it would be at 23 years. That's when I then for sure lock in Chief Monster 4. Um, 
and then and then because it's 23 years it would be like 54 percent or whatever weird stuff because it calculates up to 75 at 30 years so at 30 years as a chief warrants for five i would be getting 75 percent of a chief warrants for five pay, which is pretty freaking good yeah <laughs> so it's for like doing nothing literally like not working and just having my retirement i would i think bank five and a half thousand a month that's pretty good to yeah. just do nothing and I, yeah, like I said, then I have the freedom to... Until you see civilian pay and you're like, oh, shit. <laughs> but it's still, yeah. it, it's guaranteed money. Though. That's the problem. Is that, right. let, me, let me erase what I just said. It's guaranteed money that, you, that you've that you earned. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. So, but once you see, like, especially if you ever become a contractor... Oh, sorry, go ahead. I want to clarify that. You're not wrong in your first statement. There is a part of, a part parts of the system where that guaranteed pay for the rest of your life is a problem. And that may need to be a topic for another time. Cause I think you're, you're right in saying that someone who spends 20, 20 years working for the military deserves that someone who spends a certain amount of time working at the post office deserves that. Like they've done these jobs. It's a retirement, same as anywhere else. Um, but to do one term in Congress might not necessarily rate the exact same thing. That may be a conversation for another time. No. Yeah, no, I, I don't equate. So that, that wasn't what I meant. Sorry. If, you, if that's the way you took it, the, what, what you've done in your service, you earn definitely a hundred percent of what the fuck you're going to get for retirement. So no, I, un- I, unlike was you felt, I felt like you were maybe trying to defend that position, like take that position on it because you're trying to take back the, it's a problem. So I was kind of agreeing and disagreeing saying that I think I understand that you're saying that it's not a problem that I am, but I think there is parts of the system that that is a problem. Oh yeah. Yeah, it is. It's just not, not in the military. Cause I mean, like i think that there's some places we could talk about needing to maybe not do that, that kind of system yeah 100 percent. because you're actually you're not getting to another table well, that's a whole different discussion yeah. but yeah it's it it's just it, it's crazy to me oh, but anyway once you see like what civilians make as contractors like i ever told i don't think i told you um when i when i went to iraq I got paid a quarter of a million dollars for a year. And once <laughs> the the DOD paid for my slot, it was anywhere between 1.2 and 1.6 million dollars for my slot for just a sand guy. I got offered $480,000 to stay after I was going to leave and then I came back for like 380 or something like that. And so that's like that amount of money, like most people don't even know what the fuck to do with that. You know what I mean? It's like, it's so insane. Um, but it's also, after I did it, it was just like, why are we doing this? Like, why are, why are we paying? I could have done this as a Marine. Yeah. You know what I mean? I, I really could have, but the, 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 the Marine Corps and, and especially NMCI and bad leadership in the Marine Corps um, kind of forced me out of like really doing what I wanted to do. I, I loved... When I was in the Mew, I fucking loved it. But when I came back to Garrison, I was like, this is fucking nonsense. And that's yeah. the main reason why I got out. The Mew's a good time. I feel like, and we're, there is a pretty big push. I don't know if you've read Commandant's planning guidance. And if you want, I can send you a copy. It's actually pretty interesting. The Commandant we have right now, I think gets it and is trying to make some big changes. That's why Tanks is gone. He's like, I, I want us to focus on what our role is and what our job is, you know? Yeah, and it should be gone. I think we talked about it before the podcast started, but... Oh, oh, tanks yeah, should be gone. Yeah, because what's amphibious about a tank? Yeah, what's what's anything? What the fuck? 
when have you seen a, a big tank battle since World War II? Did we use yeah. tanks in the Korean War? Do we use tanks really in fucking Vietnam? Did we we use tanks in uh, the Gulf War, sort of, but it's only to show like we had tanks that were better than your anything. But you didn't need to. You could have just dropped fucking bombs on them. Like all they did, what did was like roll in a line across the desert, kicking up sand. Like you're like that looks cool. Yeah, look but... up, look how big my dick is. This is it's fucking dumb. <laughs> I could look it up. I don't know. Uh, there might have been a battle or two somewhere, but I, I think you're probably right that since World War II, it hasn't been a major factor. Um, but but he's he's talked about it, and I think that if basically like any time in garrison should 100% be spent making the Marines better at being able to be somewhere else, and I think we spend too much of our time maybe being hyper focused on what we're doing right here rather than like is what we're doing right here ready getting ready for over there. Yeah, um, that was the thing. So hold on, real quick. Let me tell you, this is the exact scenario that happened when I, I came back from the Mew. I was literally, I was a comm chief for a matter of months in the Mew, on the 11th Mew back in 2002 as a Lance Corporal. And so you know that a Lance Corporal should not be a fucking comm chief. But I was a comm chief on the Mew. They ended up getting a staff sergeant eventually, but it took us some time to find somebody. And I was, I was good at what I did, you know. And I came back from the Mew... And there was a first sergeant who came from the grunts and he wanted me to go march Marines around on the fucking parade deck all day. And I was like, do you not understand what my job is? Like, yeah. I'm good at training Marines to doing this job. I'm not good at like telling how, telling them how to march. Like, I don't really give a shit about marching. Like they need to be able to secure our fucking networks. <laughs> so, and, and I will say this, so this is a position that I have and that I can say is my position regarding the Marine Corps, and I would tell a Marine officer the same thing, which is that um, the Army does their system with their E-8s and E-9s. It's a little different. I don't know if you know what that is. Um, so in the Marine Corps, we have designated Master Sergeants and First Sergeants and, and Master Gunnery Sergeants and Sergeants Major, right? Yeah. You become a First Sergeant, you will become a Sergeant Major, and you yeah. only ever do leadership so. development. Yeah. and command level type stuff and then if you're a master sergeant you will become a master gunnery sergeant and you always only ever do whatever your job field is in your yep. special in your job field so the army you stay in your mos you are an e8 and you will be a master sergeant and you will do your job and you might get orders e8 as a command first sergeant and you go to that job you do the first sergeant job for two three years whatever it is and you go back to your job so you still have to know how to do your job when you're done being a first sergeant you might go, and then someone will look at your career later when you make E9 and you're, you know, a chief master sergeant. Actually, I might be screwing up there. That, that's Air Force. Anyways, E9 on the on the professional side and, like, stay in your job and then go, oh, hey, he was a command first sergeant at one point. Let's move him into command master sergeant major position for a while and then move him back to his job. You still have to always go back and do your job at some point. Um, and I think we... First sergeants generally get mad at me, and sergeant major get mad at me sometimes. When I phrase it this way, but like you still have to know how to do your job. You don't get away with just going and being a marine, and it's kind of unfair to the master sergeants and the master gunner sergeants because, in most cases, at a command, first sergeant has to go on leave, or the sergeant major has to go on leave, and he's one of one. Um, we just all go, oh hey, the master sergeant can fill in for a little while, or the sergeant or the master guys can fill in for a little while, because we just expect them to just be marines, and that's what we want the first sergeant and the sergeant major to do. Yeah. I never expect them to go back to their job. And that's kind of frustrating. So I would rather see the system move to the way the Army does, where we expect them to be professionals in their job and professional Marines and still lead Marines when you get assigned to do so and then go back to your job. Um, 
So it's not a popular position. <laughs> no, it, it it's only not popular because you said the a word. That's all, because it's you What's said that? the army. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, I I really dislike the army on like the vast majority of things, but well, you just explained. Like I I understood it from obviously the Marine Corps side because I was a Marine, um, and Marine, but uh, from the army side, like I didn't know that happened. But I also have worked with the army as a contractor, and the army's still all fucked up. Yeah. So even with that being said, like I've seen the lack of discipline. But don't get me wrong, the Marine Corps has never really lacked discipline. Right. That's not a problem. The problem is knowing what the fuck you're doing and being a, a decent leader. And I think that um, with I'm saying this from the outside now. Obviously, I've been out for a long time. But it, when I was in, I saw a lot of people. I I had maybe three people that I actually trusted as like senior NCOs, like stuff, you know, like. And like the rest of them, I was like, they don't give a shit about me. They don't know what the fuck I do. They don't understand me as a person. And I can't have that. Yeah, it's like there needs to be more personability. And like the the ones that you know that I was actually cool with, like they, they understood what I was like. Uh, he was a gunny back then. It's a guy named Gunny Reyes. He basically saved my Marine Corps career. Um, and he sent me on the Mew. That was the best thing that ever happened to me in my entire career. Cause when I came to the Marine Corps, um, literally a week after I, maybe not a week, maybe like a month after I came to ninth com, um, we had this huge crackdown on drugs and like all these people, including a fucking first sergeant got thrown in the brig for drug use. And I was just like, this is the Marine Corps. Like, what the fuck? <laughs> it's a tough first impression. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, I think... So, like, your example of you going to the Mew as a Lance Corporal and stepping it up and being the comm chief shows that the leadership requirements that we put on Marines, if if held to the fire and trained even just basically as a Marine and you take that shit seriously, any of us could be put in leadership roles and take over. So I'll put it this way, like in, in any of the schools for like, um, for like leadership schools. So I would say even TBS for, for lieutenants or for the warrant officers, or when the lieutenants come here for school, there's 75 of these guys, right? So 75 lieutenants in one group together, someone's in charge. Yeah. And so then they rotate that stuff through and teach them that like, whoever is in charge is in charge. And the rest of you, even though you're the same rank, shut the hell up. And that person's in charge because they're making the decisions. And we ingrain that into Marines, right? And you know this. And so if if everyone else was gone, and there's actually, um, so there's a, a pretty common event that we'll do where we will say um, that it's like an NCO day and all of the staff NCOs and officers are off for the day. They're gone. Go do something else. Go to a PM, go somewhere else. NCOs take over the unit, right? They, like sergeant is the CO, a sergeant is the XO, corporal is the opso. Like you take the, all the jobs. Here's all the tasks that need to get accomplished today. Get shit done today. And they always are like really, really fun days where we come back. I did it as a sergeant, so I was like this one of the senior positions. And it, it teaches you for a couple of things. One, it makes the officers who maybe didn't realize it put faith in their NCOs and yeah. trust them to have done. But it also teaches the NCOs like, oh damn, this stuff's not easy. Yeah. <laughs> like, yeah guys are managing and I, I didn't realize how much work they're doing every day that's gosh so obnoxious i'm glad i don't have to do this job you know i'm glad i could just be a sergeant and get you done and yeah so it it helps everyone feel like they understand each other better and i don't see those happening enough 
Um, but they're also really hard to coordinate. So I, I get that, but well, that, that shows me that if you can take a sergeant and make him a major for a day and they can still figure out how to get stuff done, that you could, we could do this another way and not have someone dedicated and, and losing their perspective on what people's technical roles are for jobs like ours. So. Yeah. Well, I mean, that's, that's one of the cool things about, I don't know about the, the entire military, but I, I know about the, the Marine Corps is that the Marine Corps is, um, really spectacular in being able to handle complex problems at like even like the base level because like we are so it's ingrained in us to like really adapt and overcome and i think that most folks kind of they don't really understand that it's just like i don't even know how to put it for like for civilians but it's like if something bad happens like marines expect that and then we just adapt and fucking we just roll with it where i think that other militaries around the world like when something bad happens or you lose like a you know, a, uh, a lieutenant or a captain or whoever the fuck, that can just break down the whole chain of everything. In the Marine Corps, you, like, it's not really... It, I mean, it's a big deal, but it's not a big deal when it comes down to, like, the, the company or even, like, the... Uh, like, the f fucking fire team level. Like, you're still going to do your job. You know what I mean? It's like, you were told your orders, you'll do what you have to do, and then whatever happens afterwards, we'll figure out. Um, yeah. And it... it and it's really amazing with the Marine Corps because we're all so, because we're usually so strict on everything. And it's, I don't know how we reach like this really weird, like getting the best of both worlds. I don't know if it was by design, but it happens. Like seeing Marines um, just go through all these crazy adversities and still like just pulling through. Meanwhile, going through very strict, normally very strict um, guidelines on what to do. And then knowing, like, instinctually, like, to just come out of the box and, like, hey, like, even though this person said, do this, shit's fucked up, I'm going to do that. And then just, you know, just doing it. Um, I think it's, I think it's, it's, it's really cool. And I hope that that's still the way things are today. It is. And I think it's a realization that some people maybe let off for a little while and are working to fix. And I, I explain it as commander's intent, right? There's like the execution, real specific tasks. And then there's just always the overarching concept. And that's how you do that stuff. So as long as you understand what the big goal is, yeah. you can see the bigger picture. You can get things done within that scope, even if it doesn't match up perfectly with the steps. And no one will be mad at you. And then Marine Corps at least. So that's the idea. Yeah, accomplish the you mission know? is like, that's what we all got to do, right? Oh, sorry, what? I said accomplishing the mission is what we're all supposed to do. You remember the like the concept of the strategic corporal? Have you heard that term? You remember that term? Oh, vaguely. It's been a while, man. <laughs> yeah. The idea was like you, you'd have a corporal on a guard post in a position, and he's like the senior dude there because it's corporal and three lance corporals there, and they're just on guard duty at a checkpoint or something. And like cars come up to it, and on this block, you know that this area is like high conflict area. Meanwhile, this area we're handing out food, and like in that area, so like you have whole different levels of conflict going on all around you and you have to make decisions within that space and you're expected to do so and that's that's a lot for a 19 year old or a 20 year old corporal to figure out on their own but we trust them to do so because they get the whole the whole picture and know that that they should be expected to manage that situation and it's kind of ridiculous for a lot of people when they realize that's the level of trust we put into like a 19 or 20 year old dude or, or, or chick well and it's also i mean when you talk about like even even below that level like i think the the lance corporal underground is like yeah that is like one of the biggest secrets that I think the Marine Corps has over any fucking military branch ever is like the fact that you have like this whole 
you know, like E3 level that has like all this knowledge that is it's basically fucking secretive. But mm-hmm. they they share it amongst each other and like maybe some of the corporals if they're cool, you know, and they still get stuff done. And that's like in E3 is basically a guaranteed rank in the Marine Corps, you know, unless you're really fucked up. So. Right. Yeah. And they just get stuff done. Yeah. You just yeah. know what your jobs are and get it done within that scope. And again, like I said, there's somebody who's not going to, not going to figure it out on their own, but something about the way we train them, it gets them pretty used to just figuring stuff out. You know, what I think it is now that I'm on the outside, it's that we have, we've, the Marine Corps has conditioned Marines to expect so little. <laughs> like we're we're so used to like having uh not the best anything and there's a like I don't think that you could the Marine Corps could not exist if every Marine was happy. You know what I mean? Like like we're we're so conditioned into like living in the like the the shittiest yeah. conditions and just like dealing with it and just like, you know, I mean, you know what I mean. Any Marine that's listening to this knows what the fuck I mean. It's just yeah. like, you can't be happy and do your job effectively. It's that, <laughs> it's that inherent and disgruntled nature that like makes you push to get that stuff done. Yeah. Makes it functional. Yeah. And I, it's, it's such a weird dichotomy. It's like, I'm going to be angry and get this job done still. Like you, you can't get that in the in civilian life. Like I'm not going to get mad and then want to do my job better. <laughs> you know? It's interesting. Have you, um, no, yeah, never mind. Sorry, I lost it. I mean, we, we went way off the fucking topic from UBI at this point, so you can talk about whatever you want. We're just going to be, like, free-flowing at this yeah. point. Thoughts. What's up? I said this is kind of the, the closing thoughts, I guess. Or So what was I going to talk about? We were just talking about... Um, so so I'll close with this, I guess. It's a new, a still, still another rabbit hole kind of topic, but we did talk last time about, um, like integrating more advanced concepts right of training and like using ai and and vr and ar and some of these other things so today we did a pretty cool training event with our guys where um we used a humvee simulator i don't remember if i talked to you about starting this idea um and so it's six it's it's six of these like rooms with a real frame for a humvee inside it with um stuff hooked up inside and cameras and stuff but then they're inside this perimeter room that has projectors pointed out at all of it. So they see themselves sitting in the truck in a real like world scenario when they drive, the road moves past. And I mean, it's, it's realistic enough that if you stand in there instead of being in the truck, like you get nauseous cause it's moving and you're not in the truck feeling the rumble. Oh, so you're yeah. standing, <laughs> moving, ugh, it starts getting weird. So I had to get out of the room, but <laughs> we ran with the specific goal of like, look, you're going to be thrown some weird tactical situations that as brand new Lance Corporals in your entry level school, we know you PFCs mostly actually, we know you don't know how to handle. That's fine. That's not the goal. The goal isn't for you to tactically solve this problem properly. But once you're given what the proper response is, which we tried to coach them to that point, we're evaluating you on your radio etiquette. Like when you get on the radio and you just, one of your trucks just got blown up and you can keep yourself under control and talk intelligently on the radio and manage your team and report the information so that someone else can help you. That's the goal because sometimes the fight's going to happen. Everyone's heart rate is up. Everyone is taking action and you're the radio operator. Your job is to convey information to other people and you have to be calm enough to talk on the radio and we want you guys through some of these scenarios. And it was, it was really good. Like, 
I think the Marines saw their huge benefit. Um, I saw in just two runs, like a big increase in their proficiency and their ability to feel comfortable on the radio. And um, I'm going to do a debrief with the staff sergeant, who's their chief instructor tomorrow. Like we're going to talk through it. Um, and he was excited. He was like, this, this worked out really well. It was our first run. So I know that there were still a lot of kinks we need to work out, um, especially in like pre-instruction, like prepping them to be ready for it, which we, we did some, but we didn't really necessarily know what to expect. So now we can get them more prepared, but it was, it was a good thing for us doing what we talked about, which is like trying to make training more advanced, more realistic, more integrating new technologies, even though honestly, these trainers are really old, but we're using them in new ways, which I guess is kind of the cool thing. Yeah. I mean, that's, that's what Marines do. You know, we, we do more with less. <laughs> so, um, actually, I, I do have a question after doing the closing comments. You were talking about like things under pressure. Um, when I got out, there was a whole like big map thing. Is, that's still going on, right? You still doing big map? So do you guys train? Like, so I, I, well, I did jujitsu for like the longest time up until COVID happened, but do you guys like actually like, do you get into grappling at all? So throughout the program, yes. Yeah. Um, I've like, it's kind of one of those things like that you can finish and you shouldn't be able to like, I got my <laughs> yeah. And the, it's a problem though. Like, so in our field too, right. And being in the technical field, um, I got my black belt in 2010. I can't go become a martial arts instructor, which is like the next level up. That's the only way to get another level is to go become an instructor and get a tab on your belt. Yeah. Um, because two reasons one like it's meant for ncos and staff ncos to get being a chief officer they're going to be like why are you even here because it's fucking and fun <laughs> then, but to the command they think it's a waste of my time to go to this thing right like i need to be doing my job yeah uh, but also like i'm never going to be able to have time to instruct people like i'm not actually going to run a course for two weeks it's just not going to happen wow okay so that makes sense of that course also on me like why would i make you an instructor who's never going to instruct um so like I, I don't get to do sustainment. I don't get to like do regular training as a as a like advancing my martial arts training as a part of it. But I will I will caveat that with the training that we do up to black belt and for those who do get the chance. For me, it kind of. But I think that those who get the opportunities to continue to pursue it, become martial arts instructors, uh, the program is actually really good because it's diverse, and I think it doesn't try to do something that was a was a topic when it was brought up which was like pick a martial arts and just follow their course. And instead it's, it's a Marine Corps combat martial arts system where yeah. like it is designed for you to understand that in a combat situation, how to survive and how to kill the other person. Hey, that is not how a lot of martial arts <laughs> programs are designed. It's like disable or, or, you know, um, you know, just deconflict. Like this is how to kill the other person who was trying to kill you. And it is a definitely a different martial arts system than a lot of the ones I've done. So I was like, this is pretty interesting as I was learning it. And I'm glad I had a chance to get my black belt. So, yeah, it took me, so I did a little bit of McMap and obviously, you know, line training back in the day. And, um, yeah, it's way back in the day, I guess at this point, but you know, I started yeah. training jujitsu like a while back and I've been thinking like seven or seven years in at this point, I, was, I, I should have been a brown belt this year, but um, obviously COVID happened, so I had to stop training on a purple belt. Um, but I would love to come down and just like train with some Marines and see like what like grappling like what their grappling levels are and like see like how cool that is. You know? I think what you'd find is that um they 
so the, the situations we generally got into, like the arm bars and like the the um, bent arm bars, a couple other things too. Like they'll take it a little too far generally because like put <laughs> on tap, hard don't recognize the tap, yeah. Because the idea is right. Mentally, I'm going to die if I don't take a little bit of pain and figure out how to get out of this. So remembering like while you're getting flexed out and like arm bent what is the counter to this and you have to put your brain in a calm state to remember what i'm physically supposed to do to move yeah. and don't tap because the opponent's not going to give a shit that you tapped in the reality so you have to know how to move and not have your shoulder torn out um yeah that's also that, that that's honestly like when i first started training i i had a similar mindset a little bit but then i was like well if my arm's broken like how effective am i as a fighter yeah, <laughs> yeah. But the, it's because the martial arts mentality is a little different than it has to be for the Marine Corps martial arts. Where yeah, yeah, how do I train tomorrow, right? How do I train tomorrow with this guy? How do we do the next bout? How do we continue getting better? Whereas we're trying to teach them, how do you not die right now? Yeah, <laughs> how do you go from this to to getting some advantage to at least get a you know get up and get a get your knife or get someone else to help you? But find a stick. Like we literally teach you, like look as soon as you're up, like be looking for anything weapon, else. Yeah. <laughs> And so we will, we will while training because I, as a black belt, I still had uh, like five months in Afghanistan as a black belt. So then my black martial arts instructor had me like doing assistant training stuff the whole time. Um, and so we would, during drills, would have training devices like out and around the room so that wherever your grappling ended up with you getting up, you, you, your whole goal was to look and be like, there's a kendo stick or there's a, you know, a, a rock shaped foam piece. And you would pick that up and that's like, you're ready for the next step of the fight to smash dude's head with a rock. And oh, that's cool. It's a, it's, it's a, it's fun, but it's also like, it doesn't like, you can't just go, Oh, Hey, I was a black belt in Marine Corps martial arts. Can I get my purple belt in judo? Oh now? no. Yeah. That, that isn't. Yeah. <laughs> martial arts that agree like hey we can allow you to pick up this belt if you did that belt in that one no there's none of that transferring over yeah no actually I, i've rolled with uh plenty of marines that were act that were active marines or uh reserve marines at my well i guess former school because they, they had to close down and then i also rolled with a bunch of cops and a bunch of other people from various walks of life and it's just like yeah you can't expect to like be come from a different background and expect to pick up a belt and what's funny is like when you're doing jujitsu and like there's some folks that want to do that. And I used to sort of be an enforcer where like somebody would come in as like a they would think that they were like a supposed to be a higher belt and I would just fucking wreck them because I used to be like a bigger guy, <laughs> you know, and it's just like, yeah, it's like you got to understand like it's doing like a jujitsu is like a obviously I mean, if you can't strike, you're taking away like a certain amount of things that you can do. So that's what most people in jiu-jitsu don't really understand and um, something I had to kind of throw away when I started doing it and like competing and stuff. It's just like, hey, you know, I'm not going to hit this person. I'm just going to try to like join lock or choke them. So, but like, yeah, um, seeing them come and like just pure grappling, it's like, yeah, it's, it's the world's a lot, lot different from just pure grappling. Yeah. Well, because too, like, so a lot of, a lot of the martial arts that teach grappling as a component of it grappling is generally an element of a counter to a strike or an element of a, a takedown. It's not its own independent piece. That is the entire martial arts for, for that. So it makes it different. Like how do you, how do you get inside a punch and like move to a, move to a grip if there is no punch? <laughs> Ever. Yeah. So it's, it's, it's a whole different mindset. I like that. Uh, I've 
studied it but haven't ever done it so i'd really like to at some point but it's not time yeah, yeah. Well, and right now like you said it's really not an option yeah yeah i got you all right well let's wrap it up because we're approaching well it's past two hours so a little bit past yeah and i, I don't want you to get in more trouble than you're already in so yeah i'm good that's, that's what you say now <laughs> i with enrique at 440 so oh, Christ. i'm not working out tomorrow i'm gonna Probably drink another beer, maybe start Cyberpunk, and then get up with my toddler whenever she gets up in the morning. So night, yeah. Well, and then you have no idea what that time is going to be. So yeah, it could be seven a.m. No, it's not seven a.m. I'll just start go back to bed. It'll be <laughs> after eight. <laughs> so. And then I'll I appreciate. Start. I'll work appreciate out. Yeah. Thanks for pulling me up on UBI. I think that was a good one. I, I still I think I'm where you were. Where, not hundred percent sure. I think I like the the idea of us taking care of each other. Um, and I think it's an implementation thing. I think is, is a thousand dollars to every person, the right answer. I don't know, but I think something needs to be talked about, right? We need to decide how much of this is our responsibility to each other as human beings and what's the solution to getting there. Um, so, um, I definitely have to do more research, especially like I said on Andrew Yang, his stuff about it. I like pulled up the tab and was like, man, this does and you mentioned another time. I was like, man, that's like exactly how I would think. Again, running for Democrat side, so I'm sure there's plenty of his platform pieces that I don't agree with. But yeah, I do think topic has got to be something I need to look at so I can better incorporate it into my understanding of things. I don't think so. This is the problem that I have with with Andrew Yang. I don't think he should have ran as a Democrat. I think it should have ran as like probably an independent or a, another third party. Um, that's why he, he got stonewalled in pretty much all the debates. But if you want to yeah. like listen to like what he has to say, like if you listen to like his first podcast on Joe Rogan experience, he breaks down this stuff in like way more depth and he has like his own podcast now, but um, okay. just listen, just listen to his, his thing on Joe Rogan's podcast and it, he goes into way more depth than, than what I went into. And it's just like, it's like, before that podcast, I was like, I never heard of that guy before. And yeah. once he broke it down, I was like, oh, this is uh, interesting. And then I started looking up, like, how do you pay for it? Blah, blah, blah. And yeah, I, I wrote him in as president for 2020. Nice. <laughs> yeah, I really did. I didn't give a fuck. I already knew Joe Biden was going to be the, the candidate for, for California. So I didn't even fucking feel bad. Plus, I, I couldn't vote for Joe Biden anyway. So, or President Trump. So, yeah. I just wish there was more support for additional parties throughout our system, but that's a maybe a conversation for another day. Oh yeah. I mean, like I said, last time I was going to vote for uh, Gary Johnson, but you know, he, he had no viability. So, so I guess it's my topic next and that might be what I'll come up with. We'll figure it out between now and then third party systems. Could be. Yeah. Well, next one's on you, man. So we'll do it. Okay. All right. All right. Thanks for the conversation, Thanks, man. I'll talk to you later. Yep, later. I needed to, show you this since I went and got a new one. I hadn't shown you this earlier, so it's got the, the koozie on it. Oh, nice. I think I do the Apparel March. It does. <laughs> That's fucking dope. Yeah. <laughs> That's like the, the peak of nerdness right there. <laughs>